Good evening. Baruch Hashem, this uh, lecture will be Leiluy Nishmat Shmuel Ben Avraham, Leiluy Nishmat Sofia Sonia Vatsara. And Leilu Nishmat Lea Bemikre Elizabeta Mira Batkesia. Also, Lerfuat Aliza Malka Batlea. Ezrat Hashem. Tov. Baruch Hashem. Everybody knows that things are happening now with uh, with WhatsApp. A lot of people leaving WhatsApp. They're moving to different networks. I thought we already opened Telegram pages for the groups. We can put unlimited amount of people there. WhatsApp is a lot of headache. It was never good. There was always better other networks. Problem is people got used to WhatsApp and it's hard for people to change. People hate changes. Yeah, Metro PCS, hard to change to a good network, you know. So because of that, we pay the price. We don't want to experiment some changes. We pay the price. The problem is that I thought Telegram is good, but someone warned me from them today that there's not modest there. There's all kinds of things that can happen there. So the other options would be maybe, what is it, signal? Single or signal? Signal? Signal, supposedly everybody says it's good. We will see. And it's, it's limited amount of people in a group or not? Again, problems? Well. Cancel the... You know, it's, it's turning the switch. This, this uh, on the menu. As you know, I gave a few lectures in the last two weeks about the vaccine. That's the hot topic. Everybody speaks about that. People forgot Torah, people forgot Gemara, people forgot Parashat HaShavua, people forgot Halachot, and people also forgot one of the most important things in the Torah, which is Kvod Chachamim, how to respect High scholars of Torah, rabbis or not rabbis, doesn't have to be rabbis. Anyone who learns a lot of Torah for many years in a kolel or in yeshiva, very knowledgeable in a Torah, can fall into the category of being a Talmid Chacham as a strict obligation in a Torah to respect them just as much as you respect Hashem. And everyone who disrespects the Chachamim, is destroying himself in the most worst possible way that you can imagine. I, the reason I start my lecture tonight with this is because I've seen uh, 
We had a radio show in Israel. Uh, maybe there are 30,000 people watching it live and in repeat, you know. And uh, I saw at least 30, quickly, I don't have time, maybe two, three minutes, quickly I review some of the comments. At least 30 people, 30 fools, that lost their Olam Abba for sure in the middle of this broadcast. Guarantee. They have no shirt to the world to come as of now. A person can lose his Olam Abba in a minute. You can become, you can be religious, but Tshuva 80 years, and you can lose your Olam Abba in one comment you put online. One comment, you can lose your Olam Abba. And I'm going to prove it to you soon. That's what the Gemara says, Some people, they can save their world in a minute. And some people can lose their world in a minute. And uh, how, how a person can lose his world in a minute? Disrespecting a Talmud Chacham, the Gemara says, is an Apikores. There's a list of people who have no share to the world to come. One of them is Apikores. The Gemara explains who is an Apikores. Apikores is someone that is not respecting Talmidei Chachamim. Mevazet Talmidei Chachamim, make comments, which I'm going to explain what I'm talking about in a minute. In the meantime, let's really analyze what's going on. You have a horrible year in the world, a year like this we did not have for about a hundred years, since 1918 the big pandemic of those days. And today, with the help of the wicked media, as we all see how wicked they are and how they control United States, with the help of the wicked media that was able to make panic, to put every person on the globe in massive panic. Panic attack, anxiety, fear, confusion. They destroy the world. So therefore, everyone is confused. People are constantly listening to YouTube conspiracies, theories. 99.9% .9 of them are lies. They bring all kinds of doctors to say certain things and they pay them for that, all this pharmaceutical company. You cannot rely on what they say online. You can rely. You can rely on what they say. As you can see, the two doctors who went to the same medical school, one will tell you it's, you must get a vaccine, and his friend will tell you it's going to risk your life. We have a rule in Judaism. The rule comes from Parashat Shoftim. In Parashat Shoftim, it's written that God said to the Jewish nation, in the future, when you're going to have... Benji, shut it. Please, shut it completely. No live broadcast. Enough. So when, when, a person, when a person has a dilemma, he doesn't know halacha, ashkafa, the Torah says in the future, if you come to the Kohen and to the Dayan in your place, which will be Israel, America, Iran, anywhere in the world, and you would ask them what to do, you will ask them what to do. And they will instruct you what to do. They will instruct you what to do. 
everything they will tell you, you must listen to them precisely. Do not move left or right from their instructions. Rashi writes there on this verse, if they tell you on right that it's left and on left that it's right, you still must listen to them. Don't dare to mix your own opinion when it comes to the instruction of the big rabbis of the generation. And if someone will not obey the instructions of the big rabbis and the dayanim of that generation, right? He should be put to death and you should clean the evil out of the Jewish nation. That's what the Torah says in Parashat Shoftim. It cannot be more clear than that. Now you have only one question to ask about this. One question. What is the question? The question is, the Torah, 3,300 years ago, the Torah spoke about rabbis like Moshe Rabbeinu. Later on, it was the prophets. Later on, it was the Anshea Knesset Agdola, 120 chief rabbis, among them some prophets. Later on, it was the Tanaim. Later on, it was the Amoraim. Every one of them, as mentioned in a, in a Gemara, in a Talmud, was able with his knowledge and holiness to revive the dead. Someone is dead now. They're able to bring back their soul into their body, which nobody in the world can do today. There's no question about it. Nobody can do that. The Gemara has few examples. Few examples of Kana and few others of people that died and actually decreed on the soul to return back into the body. Today, obviously, no one is in this level. No one is even in 5% of this level. And you may come and ask, how do you know the Gemara referred to the big rabbis of today's generation? After all, if they lived 2,000 years ago, they would not count in a level of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai or Rabbi Akiva or any one of these giants who are mentioned in the Talmud. You can see right away that the Chacham from 2,000 years ago, he basically knew the whole Tanakh by heart, 24 books of Judaism, every verse, all the depth of it. They knew the entire Mishnah. They knew every law that was given ever, all the secrets from A to Z, everything by heart. There were no printed books like today. It was all in the head. We have thousands of books on our shelves. We do not know 1% of them. Every time we need to know something, we have to go and search for an hour until we find the answer. They had it all in their head. You compare those Chachamim to the Chachamim of today, with all due respect, you have big Chachamim today compared to ordinary people. But still, you cannot put them in the same league like those Chachamim that are mentioned in the Talmud. The Torah already knew that people will have this question, obviously. And the Torah said, Iftach bedoro, keshmuel bedoro. The Gemara asked this question. Can you compare Iftach to Shmuel the prophet? Shmuel 
was equal to Moshe and Aaron combined in his level. Shmuel, Prophet Samuel, is buried next to Ramot. You know in Yerushalayim, Ramot neighborhood? You have a neighborhood, it's called Ar Shmuel, the mountain of Shmuel. It's across the street from the grave of Shmuel the Prophet. You walk there, you see the place, and you know, you're thinking to yourself, wow, right here Shmuel was walking with his donkey. Right here, David Amelech was walking. It's history. You're thinking about it, it's history. He's buried there 3,000 years already. He was the prophet in the time of King Saul, the time of King David. So the Gemara say, can you compare Shmuel to Iftach? Iftach is not 5% of Shmuel. He's not in his league. It's only a little bit after, a few hundred years later, but there's nothing to compare between Shmuel and Iftach. The Gemara say, it doesn't matter. It's written in the Torah, and you would come to the big chief rabbis of that time. Doesn't matter their level compared to Moshe Rabbeinu. There's nothing to compare, because every generation will be less and less and less. But Iftach, in his generation, has the same authority as Shmuel in his generation. And if Iftach had the same authority like Shmuel, it means Rav Chaim Kanievsky and Rav Sternbuch and Rav Adelstein and Rav Mazuz and Rav Shalom Cohen and other big Rabbanim, they are the same exact authority like Shmuel and like Iftach and like Moshe Rabbeinu of those days. So we're starting with this introduction. The big rabbis that knows all the Torah, Rav Chaim Kanievsky finished the Shas hundreds of times. A few years ago, 20 years ago, there was Rav Moshe Feinstein here in America. He finished the Shas hundreds of times. Rav Ovadia Yosef finished the Shas hundreds of times. Rav Sternbuch not only finished the Shas many times, was his top authority in Halacha. Rav Gershon Alderstein, almost 100 years old, finished the Shas who knows how many times. Rav Mazuz not only finished the Shas many times and expert in Halacha, also number one in the world in grammar and Mesorah. Very, very unique. It's very unique to find Chachamim that has everything. And you have the chief rabbi of Israel, the son of Rav Ovadia Yosef, Rav Yitzchak Yosef. And you have Rosh Yeshivat Porat Yosef, Rav Shalom Cohen. All of them instructed the Jewish nation to make vaccines. Now we know there is some other ordinary rabbis who are against it. They're also listening to YouTube theories. People brainwash them from all the nonsense they hear. This doctor say this, this doctor say that. These kind of rabbis, the Torah didn't say to follow their instruction. Ordinary local ones or speakers that give lectures on YouTube they are not the generation top authority. I'm not talking to you about your, you're a fan of this speaker or you're a fan of that speaker. All the speakers that you listen to them online, they deserve the respect they deserve. We're not chas v'shalom are putting them down lower than what they deserve to get. But they are not considered gdolei ador. If Rav Chaim Kanievsky will say to do, and 5,000 speakers like me, or anyone that is on Torah anytime, or is on YouTube, or any one of these speakers, will say not to do. 5,000! And Rav Chaim Kanievsky will say, everybody must do. 
You must listen to him. He's the top authority in the world. One of the top three in the world. It's very similar to medicine. Let me give you an example. You have, chas v'shalom, heart condition. You go to a cardiologist, ordinary one, in, in, a, in, a, in a hospital here in Manhattan, or in Queens, ordinary one, not a world-class cardiologist. He knows, obviously, about the heart more than average people, but he's not a top authority in the world. He did not write books. He did not teach other cardiologists to become who they are. It's not considered. He's maybe 40, and there's one that is already 65. He has 25 years more experience. Experience play, play a big role when you're a doctor. Everybody knows it, right? So now, you go to three cardiologists here in New York. Average one. Each one is an average doctor. Nothing special. They all tell you, you have to do the bypass operation. It will improve the quality of your life. Then you have this Japanese number one doctor in the world, Dr. Ishigawa, whatever his name is. And he came to New York now to a special convention, and everybody knows he's top doctor in the world when it comes to the art. Top! He teach, write books. He's like the, excuse my language, the god of the medicine when it comes to the art. And he examined you, and he said, oh, God forbid, don't dare to make the operation. I see that if you will make the operation, there is a very high chance for you to die. But three cardiologists from New York told me to do it. With all due respect to them, don't do it. You do it, you'll die. What happens if you go to 30 local cardiologists? Queen's Hospital, Manhattan, these, all regular ones. They all say you should do. And the top one in the world, nobody knows heart better than him. Everybody admires him. He is the final verdict. Say to you, if you do it, you die. Who should you follow? The 30 or the one? According to the Torah. Who should you follow? Which one? No, no, I want to hear. Huh? The big guy. Why? When the Torah said to follow the majority, the Torah spoke about in quality, not in quantity. That's why 5,000 average rabbis or speakers will come and say, don't do it. Your life is in a risk. It's risking you. And top three rabbis in the world say to do it, or top five in our case. The Torah say, everything they will tell you, you must listen to them. Now you may come and say, in medicine, it's after all possible that the average 5,000 rabbis, maybe they were more right than the top uh, three. After all, we're not talking about the Gemara question here. We're talking about medicine. Here comes the insurance of the Torah. The insurance of the Torah is... That Hashem will not let the big chief rabbis of the generation mislead millions of Jews into their death. It never happened in history, and it will not happen ever in history. Why? Because then the Torah loses the credit. If Hashem wrote in the Torah everything they tell you, you must listen to them, and you will go and listen to them and everybody will die from this vaccine, then the Torah loses the credit. 
what, what Hashem is misleading us into that, it's not possible. And that's very, very important to remember the story with Rav Moshe Feinstein Zatzal that was learning in Lower East Side around the clock in his house all the time, learning and learning and learning. The biggest rabbi in Alacha in, 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 in America and one of the biggest in the world. And one time there's a Jewish boy, they, they, they came to Rav Moshe Feinstein and said, Rabbi, don't ask what a tragedy. A Jewish boy just got hit by a car and he's dead on the street downstairs. And Rav Moshe Feinstein said to the messenger, go check, it cannot be that he's a Jewish boy. And the, the messenger said, Rabbi, the yamaka is right next to his head on the, on the street. Uh, going, to the best of my knowledge, does not walk in the street with a yamaka. Next to the body, there's a yamaka on the floor. It has to be a Jewish boy. And after this, Rav Moshe Feinstein said, cannot be, go and check. Okay, he went downstairs, came back after five minutes, ten minutes. Rabbi, you're genius, you're prophet, it cannot be. What? You are right. This boy over there is not Jewish. But how did you know? Apparently what happened is a non-Jewish boy was chasing a Jewish boy to torture him. He was running after him to beat him up. The Jewish boy, while he was running, his yamaka fell on the floor and a car came and hit the non-Jewish boy. And he died on the spot, and the yamaka of the Jewish boy was able to manage to escape, fell on the same road, and it looks like it fell from this boy that is dead now. So the messenger asked him, it was one of his students, he asked him, but how did you know? Well, you have a holy vision? You have Ruach HaKodesh, you cannot, there's no other way. He said to him, no, that's not the case. So how did you know? So he said to him, it cannot be, it cannot be, that the place where I gave all my life to sit here and learn Torah and tell people what to do to serve what Hashem wants, in where I'm doing it all my life right here, a Jewish boy will die off under my terrace. It will be a different place. Yes, possible. But not under the place I learned Torah all my life here. It cannot be. Same Rav Moshe Feinstein after the Vietnam War, a woman came to the Bedin with a letter. Rabbi, Rabbi, don't ask what happened. She holds the letter. What? Few years ago, you gave me permission to get remarried because my husband was missing in Vietnam. I brought to you all the proofs and you gave me permission that I'm able to get married. Why? Because my husband for sure is dead and he just came back and I already got married and have children from the new husband, which means they're all mamzerim. The, her first husband never died. So he was sitting in a bed in, in Lower East Side, and he, he looked at this woman and he said, I never gave you this letter. And she said, it's, it's your letter and it's your signature. And he said to her, no, I never gave you this letter. She said, maybe you don't remember, Rabbi, you're seeing a lot of people here every day, and it was a few years ago. But this is your letter with the stamp of your bed in. He said to her, I never gave you this permission to get remarried. After a few times back and forth, she started to cry. You're right, you're right, I'm sorry for lying. I'm desperate, I didn't know what to do. I kicked her out, and uh, his grandson, which was his helper, he asked him, Zaidi, how you were so sure? I didn't remember her. You remember her? We have so many people coming every, month, every week here. 
for all kinds of problems, marriages, divorce, this, question, halacha. How you remember from Vietnam War a few years ago if you gave her permission to get married or not? How you were so sure? So he told him, it cannot be that I will give her permission to get married and her husband is alive and Hashem will bring back her husband and we will find out retroactive that I caused her to have illegitimate kids. It cannot be that Hashem will do to me such a thing. After all, I'm a volunteer. I don't work for Hashem's giving me a salary. All day I'm serving people, telling them what to do, what not to do. If Hashem will do such a thing to me, and I lose my entire credit, thousands of thousands of rulings that I made will all become questionable. And of course, in the future, Hashem would lose one of his teachers to the generation. Why would Hashem do such thing? It cannot be. That's how I knew it cannot be that Hashem will do such thing to me. If it was something relates to me, and I did something wrong, and Hashem is punishing me, very possible. We are not Moshe Rabbeinu here, yeah? Possible Hashem will punish me. Make me lose money, shalom sickness, whatever. Aval, something that will ruin the life of, of, a, of a woman and children and will create such a chilul Hashem, Hashem will not do it to his messengers. And in case you still don't understand the point, there was a newspaper journalist that came, they wanted to hunt the head of Rav Ovadia Yosef, Zatzal. And this was after Yom Kippur War, 1973. This was 1973, almost 50 years ago. So she called up the, the, the office and she said to Avovadia, I want to come to you. My husband is missing in a war. He's not a prisoner. Nobody knows where he is. Some people say that they saw him getting bombed. And there's no way he could have come from a burning building. I would like to come to get permission from you to get remarried. And in the meantime, she has a husband that is a journalist in this lefty, wicked newspaper in Israel. Same garbage newspaper who makes all the problem until today. Nothing has changed 50 years later. Same Rishaim. The New York Times of Israel. So, she came to his office. He checked all the evidence, he spoke to the people, all these things that happened. And he gave her a permission. It wasn't maybe in one time, maybe she went back and forth a few times after she supplied more and more evidence and that. He gave her permission that she can go and get remarried and she should not be Aguna. Aguna means a woman that's stuck now. They can't find where her husband is, she's stuck for life. You can never get remarried until they find her husband if he died. And if he's alive, he has to give her a get. Big problem. As soon as she got the paper, she said, yes, we got it. We finished this religious people. We publish it in the newspaper, and what will happen? What will happen? We'll prove to everyone that these big rabbis are nothing but regular people. And they can make mistakes, and you cannot rely on them. And she called the office of this newspaper to tell her husband that she got it. 
They told her, we're very sorry to inform you that a few minutes ago your husband was involved in a critical accident and died on the spot. As soon as she got the letter that she's able to get remarried, Hashem killed her husband to save the Chacham. You understand? And I can show you hundreds of stories like this. Well, yeah, exactly. I can show you hundreds of stories like this throughout the generation that are written in books with details. Why? Why? Because Hashem save his messenger. Don't dare to mess with my representatives and my holy messengers. You mess with them, you have a problem with me. That's really what's going on. Now, let me go a little bit into some details. You know, you have all kinds of people among us. You have people that are not constantly brainwashed with YouTube conspiracies. If you also got to the mind of some speakers who used to speak Divrei Torah, and now all they speak about is nonsense, unfortunately. Chaval, total pure bitul Torah. But let me, let me analyze it a little bit to the point that everything will be clear, hopefully. There is a lot of people that not only are against vaccine, they deny the existence of the corona. After thousands of Jews died, after 3,500 Jews died in Israel, after thousands of Jews died in America and in, in, in Europe, after all of that, after hundreds of thousands of people had it, and they all reported the same symptoms, losing taste, diarrhea, uh, cough, and all these things that they all got. They say, Corona is nothing but a regular flu. I don't understand. Since I remember myself, I've seen a lot of flu in the world. I myself had it a few times. I've seen thousands of people over the years that had flu. Yes, some old people die from flu, it's true. Or people with other complications. But how, when did you ever hear that you have semi-trailers full of bodies from flu? Did you ever see such thing? A hospital is packed with so many bodies, they have nowhere to, to store them, so they bring big trucks, longer than this big shul, full of hundreds of body bags, and the hospital, and the hallway, everywhere you go bodies, I don't remember even 1% of that happened in a time of flu pandemic. Let's start with that. Number two is they worked for 10 years after Ebola and SARS to develop vaccine for this, uh, for this corona. It's different vaccine. All the vaccines until now, they took the virus, make it weak, re-inject it to the body of a healthy person. The body knows how to develop antibodies. The body will fight it, and that's it. However, this vaccine is not the same. This vaccine, they took only the spikes of the virus, the spikes. They removed it from the actual virus, injected into people's body. First, it was with monkeys. First few years, they tried it with monkeys, and some monkeys died. It didn't work smoothly in the beginning. First few years, they had a lot of problems. Until they kept improving it and improving and improving, until nobody died. So now for 10 years they work on it, not for one year, like they claim this YouTube conspiracy and deniers of Corona. No, 10 years they worked all over the world with billions of dollars budgets from governments. 
And when the corona started, the government saw how urgent it is. They gave the massive amount of money. Leave everything you do. Only on this you should work. And it took them almost a year until they're all coming out now with the vaccine. As you see, Americans, Europeans, Russian, Israel is now about to... So all of them coming with the same, more or less within a month, with the same vaccine. Why is it? Because all of them were involved with this research for 10 years. And what is this? They inject into the body the spikes. The body recognizes uh, invasion, invasion of something that they don't recognize. The body with the brilliance of Hashem is developing antibody against those spikes. What these spikes are made for? To enter the cell. Because the virus cannot live on its own. It needs the cell to connect with that in order for it to exist. And therefore, that's why the spikes make the hole, and that's how it penetrates. But if the body has an army that comes to a war to fight against those spikes, right? Therefore, the virus cannot kill a person, cannot take over the, the cells, and a person can get out of it right away. You get the first shot, after three weeks you get the second shot, and you're secure. At least 95%. That's, that's what they reported, 95%. After the first shot, they tested people in Israel, 50% of the people already developed antibody. They don't even need a second shot. But it's only 50%. The other 50% will have it after they get the second shot. There is a very big expert in medicine in Israel, Rav Elimelech Führer. More than 40 years, he walks around the clock 20 hours a day, became a world Expert, doctors from all over the world calling him for questions. Doctors, cardiologists, brain doctors, all kinds of scientists. Everybody knows. Elimelech Führer knows more medicine than any doctor you know. You come to him with a problem, he looks at the x-rays, he looks at what they discover, he will tell you exactly in what hospital they'll be able to save your life or not. Whether it's I whether it's stomach, whether it's heart, whether it's everything, automatically he knows right away what to do. Unbelievable. They made some uh, shows about him in Israeli secular television. They, all the doctors in Israel, they say he knows medicine more than me. I call him for advice. I call him for advice. This is how great he is. After he investigated the new vaccine, he came to Rav Chaim Kanievsky, Rav Adelstein, Rav Zilberstein, another Gdol Dor, free tap Ashkenazi Gdole Ador. The Belzer Rebbe, another one. So he told them this vaccine is 100% safe. There's nothing to be afraid of. He ordered everyone to take it, and that's the only thing that can save Israel. Later, the chief Sfaradim, Rav Mazuz, Rav Yitzchak Yosef, Rav Shalom Cohen, also big Gdole Torah, they also say 100%, and they took the vaccine. They themselves, all of them took it. Now, here comes the thing. People in Israel, they have a lot of chutzpah. Call themselves Baalei Tshuva, but in reality, they are wicked, secular people. Even though they have nice beards and yarmulke, they never changed. They're still the same rotten people they used to be 20 years ago with a nice beard, but nothing in their personality changed. Same arrogant people who have disrespect, zero respect to Chachmei Torah and to the Torah. 
They started to write with their comments. The rabbis were misled. They fooled them. What do they know about medicine? Their information was wrong. Millions will die. All kinds of things. Now we are a month later. Two million people in Israel got the vaccine. Among them my mother, my aunt, my uncle, and 200 personal friends of mine. They all got it. Now one of them had a problem. Didn't feel anything. Not dizziness, not fever, nothing. No pain. Even the shot was so easy, they didn't feel it. Two million people in Israel got it. Based on their fear, they said, if 10% of the people that will get it will die, we're going to have millions of bodies here. If you have vaccinated 7 million people and 10% of them will die, according to their uh, vision, it's going to be 700,000 dead. So 10% did not die. How about 1%? It will be 70,000 people dead in Israel. Baruch Hashem, no 70,000 bodies. How about a tenth of a percent? Two million already got vaccinated. How much is one percent from two million? Huh? 20,000. So no 20,000 dead. Tenth of a percent, 2,000 people. Did you see 2,000 dead? Baruch Hashem, you did not see 2,000 funerals in Israel in the last three weeks. How about... A hundredth of a percent. Two hundred bodies. Two hundred funerals in Israel. It will be a noise like never before. Everyone who dies in Israel, they report about it in the newspaper almost. Everywhere, on the news. It's not America. People die every minute and nobody cares. In Israel, if someone dies, they make an article about it in a, in a television, in a, in, a, in a newspaper, in local magazines. So how about a hundredth of a percent? Maybe 200 bodies. It did not happen. How about a thousandth of a percent? One percent divided by a thousand. It would still be 20 bodies, no? We did not see 20 funerals. How about 10,000 of a percent? 10,000 of a percent. Two. Even that we don't have. So you know what? To be on the safe side. We already saw after almost a month that not even a thousandth of a percent got affected by it negatively. What do you expect? Do you know one medicine in the world that doesn't have some side effects? Every medicine we take has side effects. Everything. Birth control can cause cancer one day. How do you know? Uh, syrups that you take, cough medicine, all kinds of things you inhale, it goes into your system, into the brain. Do you know what it could cause? Oh, you never know. There's a... Pills against sugar, pills against uh, cholesterol. There's so many different pills, all kinds of chemicals in it. Do you know what it's going to do to your body after 20 years? There's no way to know. We are 100% in the hand of Hashem. The same way we don't know what's going to happen to us in 10 years when we cross the street. There is a much bigger chance when we walk on the street that we will die than this vaccine. So why you continue with your nonsense, non-stop, don't take it, you die, you wait, you see. I told people, now nobody will get affected, no one will die, just take it. Hashem will not let Rav Chaim Kanievsky bring a holocaust to the Jewish nation. And not to Rav Shalom Cohen, and not to Rav Mazuz, and not to Rav Edelstein, and not to Rav Zilberstein, and not to Rav Sternbach, none of them. He's not going to do it to them. 
local, ordinary, exciting speaker, let them speak until tomorrow. They're not the top authority of the generation. The top authority already say what they say. To write in a comment, to write in a comment, the big rabbis were misled. They have no idea what they're talking about. To write sentences like this in public, immediately you lose your olam haba. No exaggeration. Immediately. But there is something even worse than that. I got an email from a person that I made in Baal Tshuva in Bet Gavriel 22 years ago, 20 years ago. He wrote to me, I can almost swear that you receive bribe to endorse this vaccine. That's what he wrote to me. <laughs> that you got paid to endorse this vaccine. Do you understand the chutzpah that people has? So this is what's going on here. Some of the comments in Israel and here, people wrote, yes, you saved my life, you saved my family, you made us all Baalei Tshuva, but I'm totally against what you say about the vaccine, and I'm done with you. That's what they write. That's called, in the language of the Torah, serious ungratefulness. Kfui tova. If there's something Hashem hates the most is proud people and ungrateful people. If you are not convinced, I'll prove it to you. We read two days ago in a parasha about Paro. Paro. What's the story with Paro? Vayako melech hadash b'mitzrayim asher lo yada et Yosef. Paro forgot about Yosef, such an ungrateful king. Yosef saved Egypt. Yosef brought all the money in the world to Egypt. Yosef saved them from dying from starvation. The Jews, Yaakov, that came to Egypt after two years, the starvation finished. Instead of seven bad years, it was only two bad years. Thanks to the Jews, they have their, their country back. And Paro forgot Melech Asher Lo Yadait Yosef. He already forgot Yosef. I don't get it. There is something a lot worse by Paro. He's a mass murderer. He just threw thousands of babies to the water and choked them. He's a Hitler. If someone will come and say, Hitler was a very ungrateful person, people will tell him, shame on you. That's what you have to say about this monster? He killed 50 million people and you tell me that he was ungrateful? There's a much bigger problem with him being ungrateful. Why you say that he's ungrateful? One time I did a favor to him, and 10 years later I came to him and I said, Adolf, you owe me a favor, can you help me out? Remind me who you are? I forgot, what favor you did to me? Oh yeah, you don't want to help? No, I don't want to help, I'm sorry, I'm busy. Which one of the two crimes is worse? Killing 50 million people? Or does not pay back a favor to a friend. Which one? There's anything to debate here? There's any debate? The answer, yes, there is a debate. We go by what Hashem says in the Torah. From all his problems, what does Hashem highlight in Paro is ungrateful. Kfui tova. Someone that saved your life, someone that took you out of secular, miserable life with no share to the world to come, 
that you will get burned in hell for hundreds of years after you died, you owe him a little bit more than gratitude. Forget about what you really owe him. But the minimum, the minimum that is required that over such a stupid matter, you will not murder him online and post ugly comments or write such stupid emails. Let's see what the Rambam has to say about it. That you don't say that I made it up. The Rambam, chapter 6, Ilchot Talmud Torah. Rambam, open Ilchot Talmud Torah, chapter 6, Perek Vav. Avon Gadol, Yud Sin. Avon means intentional sin. Avon Gadol, Levazot et Achachamim. Yud Sin, to insult the Chachamim, people that know a lot of Torah. All is notam, or to hate them. I'm done with this rabbi. For me, it's not a gadol anymore. Why is not a gadol? Because he said to take a shot. I'm done with him. I don't care what he say anymore. That's how the stupid people on the street talks today. How many of them already lost their olam haba? We will see in a minute. There were so many sins done in Yerushalayim before the destruction of the temple. What finalized the decree that Hashem decided to destroy Bet HaMikdash was when they started to disrespect the Chachamim. I promise you, they never ever dare to talk like the idiots and fools out there today how they talk. Forget about it. There's nothing to compare. But according to that time and their standard, just not respecting enough the Chachamim was enough for a person to die instantly. Who can give me a proof? Bring me a proof from the Gemara. I'll give you a better proof. Every year we have the Omer. 33 days we don't shave, we don't have haircuts, no music, all these things, right? We mourn 2,000 years later the death of 24,000 Tanaim, the student of Rabbi Akiva. The student of Rabbi Akiva, we mourn their death. Why did they die? Each one of them was able to revive the dead. Only five rabbis survived. Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Shimon, and three more. 24,000 died. Rabbi Akiva didn't die. Why Rabbi Akiva did not die? Because after Rabbi Akiva became a Baal Tshuva, when he used to be secular, he disrespected the Chachamim. He hated them. He testified on himself. When I used to be Amaretz, when I was an ignorant fool, I disrespected the Chachamim. I was thinking, give me one Chacham, and I will give him a bite of a donkey and crush his bones. That's how much I hated him. After he went to learn 24 years, his wife sent him when he was 40 years old, he started. Age 64, he became the biggest, highest level of Torah in the history of the world. Somebody asks you, who was the greatest Jew who ever lived in this world? The answer is Rabbi Akiva, the highest level. You may ask, Ma, bigger than Moshe Rabbeinu? The answer is yes, for one reason. Moshe Rabbeinu got the Torah inserted by a CD. 
He went up to the mountain, he went down 40 days later, and everything was inserted by him. Rabbi Akiva earned it in 40 years of hard effort. And he became in the highest authority that the Gemara said that Hashem showed Moshe Rabbeinu moments before he passed. He, brought, he put him in Ar Nevo and he showed him Eretz Israel and all the generations to come. And he saw Rabbi Akiva is giving a class in his yeshiva. And even Moshe Rabbeinu had difficulty to understand the level of his Torah. And Moshe Rabbeinu said to Hashem with his honesty and humility, he said to Hashem, you have such a, such a Jew in the world and you chose me to give the Torah through me when he's much better than me. And Hashem said to him, you know, wait until the end of the shiur. And the end of the shiur, Rabbi Akiva said, everything we learn today is thanks to Moshe Rabbeinu, our rabbi, that gave us the Torah, and thanks to him we live. So Moshe Rabbeinu felt great. Wow, he's giving me credit when half of his shiur I did not even understand. So Rabbi Akiva did not die. Why the 24,000 died? Because they disrespected each other enough. They respected each other, for sure. Much more than we respect each other. Make no mistake. And they were much, much greater than any rabbi you ever met in your life, in Torah knowledge. But in their level, they did not respect each other enough. And it was enough for Hashem to wipe them from the face of the earth. Not one, not two, not one thousand, not five thousand. Twenty-four thousand die. Because when you disrespect a Talmud Chacham, you have a very, very big problem. Now, let's see what the Rambam says. Big Avon to disrespect the high scholar of Torah or to hate them. And Jerusalem was destroyed because they disrespected Talmud Chachamim there. As it's written in Divrei Ayamim 36. Vayu they insulted the angels of God. And they disrespect the divrei Torah of Hashem that they taught them. And fool his prophets. Even the prophets they didn't respect. Ad alot chamat Hashem be'amo until... The level of anger of Hashem raised against his nation ad le'en marpe. To a level that once Hashem reached that level, there is no more cure to that individual. The Gemara say, someone who's mevazet talmit chacham en refu'ah lemakato. Someone who disrespected the chacham has no cure to his tragedy. Nothing can save him. Nothing can save him. But wait. So, the Mishnah in Masechet Sanhedrin, page Tzadik, page 90, open the Gemara, see over there, the Gemara speaks about it. Elu she'en la'em chelek la'olam haba. Those are the Jews who have no share to the world to come. Who are they? Someone that said there's no resurrection of the dead. I don't believe people will come out of the graves and come back to life. 
Someone that said the Torah is not all of it from Hashem. Some from Hashem, some Moshe Rabbeinu made up. Some of it the rabbis added. Every generation, people add more to the Torah. A lot of religious people speak like this, by the way. They put themselves in serious jeopardy. And Apikores. Apikores. What's Apikores? It's a name of a Greek, wicked, atheist philosopher of those days. They took his name and made it an expression. An expression. What is the expression? Someone who disrespects the Chachamim, the rabbis, and is an infidel against the divine rules, from now on will be called an Apikores. Now the Gemara say, okay, but give me a specific description of what Apikores is. It's too general. And the Gemara explained. Rav, Rav and Rabbi Hanina, they both explain. Apikores, Someone that speaks harsh with disrespect to someone who has a lot of knowledge in Torah. Nimza, conclusion. He has no share to the world to come, and that's Psaka in Rambam. That's not a hypothetically subject in a Talmud like some other subjects. Some subjects, the Gemara brings all kinds of options, and in the end the Gemara brings one of them, and ruling, that's the rule for halacha. That's how you're being judged. This is la'alacha. This is a rule. That's halacha. The said, same thing, you cannot eat pork, and you must put filin, and you must keep Shabbat. Halacha. You disrespect the Chacham, you speak to him with disrespect, even if you call him by his name. Ah, we are cousins. We grew up together. Yes, but you are a shoeshine, and he is Gdolador. You cannot call him Itzik, like when you were children. Ah, come on, we grew up together, we're cousins. Our mothers are sisters. It's not his respect. You have to respect the Torah of Hashem. He has a lot of knowledge of Torah. You cannot call him by his name. You have to call him Kvod Arav. And when you speak to the Chachamim, you're not allowed to speak to him direct. You can't say to him, can you bring me? Can you answer me? Can you tell me? You're not allowed. You have to speak to them in an indirect way. Kvodo will bring. Or in plural. Why? Because it's like you're speaking to Hashem. That's how you have to do it. And the Gemara say, the Torah say, you have an obligation to love Hashem and to be glued to Him. The Gemara asks, how can you be glued to Hashem? Hashem is fire. You're going to get burned in a second. How can you be attached to Hashem? The Gemara answer, not to Hashem Himself, to His Chachamim, to the scholar of His Torah. Once you're being attached to them, and you follow them, and you respect them, and you love them, the Chachamim, and you treat them special, it counts like you are glued to Hashem. Someone who respects Talmidei Chachamim, his daughters will marry Talmidei Chachamim. Someone who gives money a lot to Talmidei Chachamim, his children will become Talmidei Chachamim. You're not doing anyone a favor. 
When a Talmid Chacham is also a businessman, let's say he sells jewelry, gold, diamond, there are some Bukharian rabbis that has had or has business in 47th Street. They had a store or a boot. So if there is a show now, let's say there is a show somewhere in America, everybody brings his diamonds for sale. When the Talmid Chacham arrived, all the people that sell over there in the market must close their booth, close their store, and do not, are not allowed to offer any merchandise for sale until the Chacham will sell his merchandise, finish, and go. Once it's done, you're allowed to open your merchandise. You do not make competition to a messenger of Hashem. So everybody close your thing, let the Chacham first show his merchandise, if he found customer, okay, everybody saw, whoever bought, bought, now comes to the other thing. Chachamim are dismissed from taxes. They don't have to pay taxes. Chachamim, they don't have to participate in the, in the cost of guarding the city. You have people on horses in the old days patrolling the, the wall. All the Chachamim are dismissed. They don't have to pay taxes. They don't have to clean the city. They don't have to pay uh, what we call uh, miscellaneous, arnona. In Israel, they call it arnona. They're pturim from everything. They don't have to pay security, nothing. So you see, the Torah is very sensitive to the kavod of the chachamim. Then, someone that disrespected the Talmud chacham spoke to him in a, with no respect. No respect. And witnesses came to Bedin and testified that he spoke to him with disrespect. Two witnesses that are Shomer Shabbat, they're considered reliable witnesses. They came to the Bedin, and so we saw this individual speaking with chutzpah to this Chacham. What do you do? The Bedin put him on a ban for life, total isolation. No one is allowed to talk to him anymore. You cannot let him enter the shul. You cannot let him enter the yeshiva. No one is allowed to sit and learn with him. No one is allowed to marry his children. Even when he dies, you don't bury him among the Jews. You isolate him for life. And also in the next world, he's isolated for eternity. He's in nidui. Nidui, complete nidui. Total isolation. Like a woman that is nida. Nobody can touch her now until she's going to purify herself. That's why they call it Nida. Nida means you're in isolation. Once you become pure again, you're back into normal. Same thing, this person is in eternal Nidui. And you give, them a, you give him a very heavy financial penalty. Huge penalty. Much more than 5,000 shekel for not putting a mask. Much, much more than that. Humin Adin, Talmid Chacham, that someone insulted him. There's a Talmid Chacham, someone insulted him. This Chacham himself, not Bedin, the Chacham himself, allowed to put that person in his Nidui. He said to him, Ani gozer alecha Nidui. From this moment on, you are in Nidui. And every one of the Jewish nation must obey this nidui. They don't tell him, oh, okay, with all due respect, it's something personal between you and him. 
The Bedin did not put him in Idui. You put him in Idui because you had an argument with him. I don't, I have to respect it because you have a fight with him? Yes. You must respect it. It's no such thing you. It's Hashem. The Chachamim, they are representative of Hashem. You mess with them, you mess with Hashem. That's what the Torah wanted to teach every Jew. And once is the Chacham put him in Nidui, you cannot count him in Minyan. You have nine people and he walked in, you cannot start praying. You have to wait for someone else. Tell him you're not allowed to be here. He forced himself in. You cannot count him. You cannot give him aliyah to the Torah. If he say Kaddish, you're not allowed to answer Amen. If he make bracha, you're not allowed to answer Amen. You cannot shake his hand. You cannot ask him how he feels. He's not exist. That's called Nidui. You're not allowed to sit in Arba Amotav. Four Amot is Ama is, is from here to here. Four Amot, maybe two meters, six feet. You have to circle a circle around him. If he sits right here, right here, you have to circle six feet around him, radius. And you're not allowed to walk into the six feet of him. If he sits there, like a bum, you run away. You do not enter Arba Amot around him. Not to talk about talking to him, or shake his hand, or ask him anything, or even receive from him anything. It like, doesn't exist. The Rambam wrote, although there is permission to the Chacham to put a person in Nidui for his own honor, personal reasons, not because he's Rasha, not because he disrespected the Torah, not because he's a big thief, for different reasons. Why? Personal matter. He owes him money and he didn't pay him to the Chacham. Is allowed to put him in Nidui, the Rambam say. It's not an honor to a Chacham to take advantage on this rule. It's not respect for you. What do you think? You put people in Nidui because they upset you? You have to know how to, to have uh, tolerance, to control your anger. So you have to look at him that he's an ignorant fool who doesn't know what he's talking about, like I always tell people, like a dog that barks. He does not offend you. However, however, this is only when he disrespected the Chacham personally. But, uh, excuse me, he disrespected the Chacham not in front of people. Personally, meaning not in front of witnesses. They were alone in a room. He was in someone's house. Nobody saw it. But if people saw it, the Chacham has no permission to forgive him. He must go full ferocity against him and take full revenge against him. Why? Because it's not the honor of the Chacham anymore. It's the honor of the Torah of Hashem. You're putting the messenger of Hashem down. It's a direct war against God. Therefore, the Chacham is not allowed to forgive you. He's not allowed to ignore what you say. He must take full force against you. And if he won't do it, he will be punished. Now, when someone writes 
on YouTube, comments. The Chachamim don't know what they're talking about, what kind of rabbis we have, what does Rav Chaim Kanievsky know about medicine, uh, Rav Elimelech Filler fooled the rabbis, how much they get paid for uh, encouraging people to take vaccines. Every one of these comments, immediately, a person loses Olam Abba. It's finished. That's it. Now they have to go to this Chacham personally with tears on their knees. Beg him for forgiveness. If the Chacham say, I'm not forgiving you, how many times you have to go? If it's a regular person and he's not a Chacham and you embarrass him, you have to go three times and ask for apology. Forgive me. No, I'm not forgiving you. You came a week later. I'm begging you, forgive me. I'm not forgiving you. Not mochel you. He came a month later. Please forgive me. Okay, I made a mistake. I apologize. I'm not forgiving you. Three times, ordinary person, not chacham. After three times, you don't have to go. You try three times, he doesn't want to forgive. What can you do? But if it's a chacham... Someone who knows Torah and teach Torah and is not an infidel, like some of the speakers today that spread heresy, they're not considered chachamim. They call machtiya rabim. Doesn't matter, they may know a lot of Torah, but if they teach heresy, like the blacklist that I had, these kind of people do deserve zero respect. Why? Because they are machtiya rabim. We're not talking about this kind of people. We're talking people that have, Baruch Hashem, clean record. They never spoke heresy. They never said to a woman, you have to dress nice to go on the street to show your beauty. They didn't say there's no such thing Gehenom. They didn't say if your wife wants to go to the beach on Shabbat, you have to start the car and take her to the beach. They don't speak such nonsense. We're not talking about this kind of clowns. We're talking serious Talmid Chachamim. So, if the Talmid Chacham was embarrassed in public, and you come to him now to ask for forgiveness, even a thousand times you are not forgiven. With ordinary person, three times it's enough. One time, second time, three times, he doesn't want to forgive. Okay, Hashem, so you tried your best. If he's a chacham, you came already a thousand times. Every week you come. One month, two months, three years, five years, ten years, twenty years, every week. Beg him, kiss his hand, forgive me, I'm begging you. No, you don't have mechila, you don't have mechila. You're going to have to go to Gehenom and suffer for who knows how many hundreds of years for that. So you actually, by disrespecting someone like this in public, you're making him decide what's going to be your end. Because you're a fool. Why would you not control your mouth and your keyboard? How many people lost their olam above from their stupid comments? How many? They, they think they're ba'alei tshuva. Ba'alei tshuva? Ba'alei tshuva? Call yourself ba'alei tshuva? You call your rabbi that made you ba'al tshuva, the Gemara says, chayav lo et chayav. Someone who improved you in Torah. You were in this level and he brought you one level higher. You owe him your life. Your life, it was, if there was a way for you to donate your life for him, you must do it. You write him an email, who knows how much bribe you receive to, to, to endorse vaccines? You're really such a moron? And I wrote to him, you're not embarrassed of yourself? 
You call yourself bad shuvah, you rasha merusha. You're the worst wicked person. And you would think that he will wake up and say, oh, you're right, I don't know what got into me, I'm sorry. Okay, no, people are stupid sometimes. He went on and on and on with his arrogance until I told him you will never receive any mechila for me for eternity. That's it. I never forgive you. And still no apology. Ego, ego, yes. Ego, ego, okay, no problem. Ego, and I told him, if you, when the time you used to come to my lectures, you were not behaving like this. But after the years, you think you're already a big shot, right? You don't need Musar. That's what came out of you. But that's not about, we're not talking about this. This is one incident, leave it alone. We're not talking about this. We're talking about people that actually speaks against Gdolei Ador. Gdolei Ador, but in Israel, you cannot believe. Achachamim ta'u. They have no idea what they're talking about. They should teach Torah. What is it, their business? Because of them, thousands will die. That's what they write. On a radio show, you see all the comments. On a Facebook page. Conclusion, Rabotai. Let me read to you a story. Forty years ago, one person disrespected Rav Ovadia Yosef Zatzal. In Yeshivat Porat Yosef. In the Yeshiva. In front of a large audience. And Rabenu got up and said to him, you are in Nidui. I'm putting you in Nidui. It didn't happen that many times in, in his lifetime, but in front of everyone. He told him, I'm putting you in Nidui. This person, later on, went to the two biggest rabbi of that generation. It was Rabbi Bezalel Zulti and Rav Eliashiv. We all know Rav Eliashiv. Rav Zulti is, uh, is before our days, but Rav Eliashiv only passed a few years ago. Rav Eliashiv was the head of the Bedin. When Rav Ovadia was Dayan, Rav Eliashiv was in a higher, higher level because he was older, 20 years older. He was of Bedin. Rav Ovadia was in the same Bedin with Rav Eliashiv in a lower level because he was 20 years younger. So they, he went to Rav Eliashiv. Rav Eliashiv was higher than Rav Ovadia, I just said it. And Rav Zulti also was, Rav Ovadia bring him in his answers, in Yechevedat and Yabi Omer. That means he held very highly of him. Two biggest rabbis. He went to them and he told them, Rav Ovadia Yosef put me in Nidui. I need you to help me with that. Immediately, they scream, out of the room. We're not allowed to talk to you and to be next to you. He kicked him out of the room. Imagine Rav Eliashiv to tell a person, out, out, I can't talk to you, get out of here. What do you think, it's a joke? This is all divine rules, Rabotai. It's divine rules, the people are ignorant, they pay the price. The Menudeh later took Rav Yudha Tzadka, begged him, help me out. Take me to Rav Ovadia. he was in Porat Yosef, let me ask for Mechila. And... Later, he took him to, to Rav Ovadia to ask for Mechila. That was the end of that story. In the end, Rav Ovadia forgave him. What we see, Rabotai, we should know, conclusion is, learn. Learn from this, never ever to leave any comments on social media. 
against anyone, not even against a goy. Why? Today you hate him, tomorrow he may say he do something great and you would like him, and you will not be able to erase. This comment will stay for 20 years now. You already made peace with him. Let's see, he was a, a, a customer or supplier in your business, and you wrote something against him somewhere. And a year later, you made peace, and he helped you out. And wow, he's such a great guy. I'm really sorry for what happened. And then this, this comment continued to make damage. Same thing against regular friends of yours. People write things, and remember, there's two issues here. One is disrespecting Talmidei Chachamim. Second is ungratefulness. What did I just show you about Paro? He's a mass murderer. The Torah does not highlight this. The Torah says he's an ungrateful person. Melech asher lo yada et Yosef. That's what you're focusing on? Yes. If you are an ungrateful person, you're not a human being. You're not a human being. And that's a very big problem, Rabotai. Two things it's written that Hashem cannot stand. One is proud people, people with gaiva. They're looking for respect and honor everywhere they go. They have big ego. I can, can, Hashem cannot stand them. I cannot be in the same room with this arrogant person. And second, someone that is kfui tova. We saw in the parasha, we have a very strange part that we have to explain. Paro said to Shifra and Pua, which is Yocheved and Miriam, I want you, when you go to deliver the Jewish babies, they are midwives. There was no hospitals in those days like today. So midwives used to give birth. You know, make women give birth. So they, Paro said to them, I want you to go when you deliver the Jewish babies. If it's a boy, kill it. If it's a girl, let her live. There's few questions we have to ask. First of all, how do you know if it's a boy or a girl? There's no sonogram. There's no sonogram yet. The only way to know if it's a boy and a girl is when they take the head out. So now the head is out and the body is still in. So what do you expect? That I take a knife and stick it to their face? Or chop their head off? What, what did you expect us to do? But from here we see that Paro tells them, if it's a boy, kill it. Don't let him be born. And if it's a girl, let her be born. Later, Paro came angry and he said to them, why didn't you obey my order? It's death penalty. The king gives you an, an order and you don't do it. Right away, they kill you. Paro comes to Shifra and Pua and he said to them, excuse me, I told you do not let any boy be born. What is all these dozens of boys that were born yesterday? They gave him an answer. Your majesty, we're very sorry. The Jewish women are not like the Egyptian goyot. They're like animals. What do you mean? Our animals give birth by themselves. They don't need midwife. Bob, he was born. The elephant gives him a kick in the head. He gets up and begins to walk. A deer was born. He's walking. A monkey was born. He's already jumping on the trees two minutes later. 
These Jewish women are chayot. Chayot means animals. Before we arrive, they gave birth. So Paro accepted this excuse, surprisingly. What, is, what do I care? I told you if it's a boy, kill it. Mahpatli if it you came two minutes later or two minutes earlier. I say, boys, kill it. Girls, let her leave. You arrived, the boy was outside already. Kill him then. What's the difference? From here we find that this is where the Torah speaks about abortion. Abortion. Is it legal or not legal? That's what the Torah speaks about. Pharaoh said to them, there is a law in Mitzrayim. You cannot take a baby that was born and disconnected from the cord and go choke him or stab him or throw him from, from the terrace. You can't do that. It's murder. Death penalty. Execution. You can't take an innocent baby and kill him. But while he's still connected to his mother and suck his life from her, is a part of the mother. If you kill him, it's actually like you cut a little organ from the mother's body, like a kidney or something. Ubar me'imo. The Gemara say, if you slaughter a cow, and while you slaughter the cow, you open the stomach, and you saw that she was pregnant, and there is a baby, and he came out alive. That baby, you don't need to slaughter him. You can just kill him and eat his meat, shish kebab. You don't need all laws of slaughtering. You have to slaughter, sharp knife, boom, he's dead. You take off the skin, you clean the dirt, and you make steaks out of him. How can it be? It's nevela, no? If you kill an animal and you eat it, it's nevela. You're not allowed to eat nevelot. The Torah says if an animal is dead, you have to give it to the dogs. The answer is we don't look at him as a separate human, a separate animal. We look at him as a part of the mother's wife. Why? Because when she died, he was still connected to her. Today, I'm sure that they still do the slaughtering just in case. But that's what it is. It's called ben p'kua. That's the term in halacha. Ben p'kua. P'kua means to open up. Son of an open up mother. Tov. So now, Paro say, you know the rules in Egypt. Once the baby is alive by himself, is not connected to the mother, no one is allowed to kill him. If you're going to kill them after they came out, after they were disconnected from the court, there's going to be riots in Egypt, demonstration. A lot of people will come out to the streets, you know. So, abortion, it's legal. I want you to do it before they are born. And the Jewish women told them, I'm sorry, too late. It was all completely out already. By the time we got there, we couldn't kill them. And that's why he left them alone. The question is, when Paro told them, kill every, first, every male born, they could have said to Paro, so we resign. We don't want to be midwife. I want to retire. I don't want to give birth. I don't feel good. I'm sick. Let somebody else kill the baby. Why should I put in such a place? Not only they did not run away, they actually took the mission and risked their life to save the babies. The Torah says, 
Hashem gave them a prize. He built for them homes. A little bit strange. Why? First of all, the Jews were all wealthy. Yosef put them in the land of Goshen. 80 years they got plenty of money. They had food, they had money, they had privacy, they have all the wealth. Yosef is the master of all the money in the world. He can write as much checks as he wants to anyone he wants. He runs the budget. So none of them had problems. The Jews did not have to mortgage their property and pay 20% to Paro. They were all dismissed. So they were very, very rich. So they had their own homes. So why do, why do you need to build them a home now? And plus, why the home is measure for measure? Everything Hashem does is measure for measure. Where is the measure for measure? Right? You have to be measure for measure. You save life of babies. One day your babies will be in jeopardy. I will save your babies. Just like you save the other babies. Or your grandchildren. This is measure for measure. Rashi writes, Batei kehuna uvatei leviyah. Hashem gave them not houses. He didn't build for them a house in Great Neck. No. Not also in Beverly Hills. And not even in Fresh Meadow. Why? He gave them the houses of Kohanim and Levim. Not literal house. Meaning the Kohanim and the Levim will come from you. Who is your Chavet? The mother of Moshe and Aaron and Miriam. Who came out of her? Aaron Cohen, Moshe, the Levi. So all the Levim and all the Kohanim came from them. So the question is, what does it have to do with saving babies? Being a Kohen or being a Levi? The plan of Paro was, everybody knew already by this Jewish family, the Hebrews, Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, that Hashem said to Avraham, your children will be slaves in a country for 400 years. And after that, they will come out with great wealth. And I will take them to the Holy Land. And I will build for them Bet HaMikdash. All these things we knew by a prophecy. Everyone in the Jewish nation knew about it. One day we will go to the Promised Land. Paro as well. Paro thought, if I'm going to kill all the boys and leave only girls, and who is going to make them pregnant? Only Egyptians go in. That means every Jewish boy that will be born slave will have a non-Jewish father. Therefore, nobody will be Kohanim and nobody will be Levim because he goes after the father. I will eliminate their plan. They will never be able to build Bet HaMikdash. They will never be able to come out of Egypt. And we keep them here slaves forever. And Hashem said to them, because you risk your life to save the plan, I'll make sure the Kohanim and Levim will come from you. That's measure for measure. Mida keneged mida. Now let's learn a little bit deeper. There was a big stone, that's where the woman gives birth. 
If it's a, it's a boy, ואף ניתן אותו, רישוי כלים. The Midrash פרו said to the מילדות, to the midwives, to kill the Jewish boys. He thought, if I will let them kill them, I will be dismissed from any punishment. I won't be punished. Why? The midwives, they will be punished for killing the babies, not me. Why? Let's see why. It's written that there is a rule, en shliach ledvar avera. If you send someone to kill someone, you give him money. I want you to go kill this guy. And he went and murdered him. And he got caught. He will be put to death. What about you? You cannot be put to death. You may go to jail. The bedding will decide what punishment to give you. But I cannot execute you as a murderer. Why? Because the person who chose to kill is an adult. What, you, you, you fool? What, what, you, oh, he sent me. So what if he sent you? If he sent you to jump from the Empire State Building, would you jump? No. You went to kill because you wanted to kill for money. You are the bigger criminal here. With him, we will deal. But it means, en shaliach ledvar avera. You cannot say, oh, my father makes me be mechalel Shabbat. He forced me to go into the car. If you're a little kid, obviously it's his fault. But if you're 17, 18, and your father says, enough with you and your religion, get in a car. I'm not getting in a car. And he's tough and scream and threaten you, and you don't go into the car. You just save yourself from being mechalel Shabbat. If you go into the car and drive, you are mechalel Shabbat. Maybe Hashem will understand a little bit the situation, that you are under pressure, but you are 100% guilty in Chilul Shabbat. You cannot come and blame your, oh, my father asked me, I have to respect him. You can only respect your parents as long as it does not contradict the respect to me. That's what the Torah says. Don't ever forget while you're respecting them that the only reason I told you to respect them is because they all owe me the respect. So if they will make you not respect me, they don't deserve any respect. But we have one problem. Paro was a Jew or a Goy? It was a Goy. This rule that en shaliach ledvar avera, does this apply to Jews only or to Goyim as well? Tony sent Vini to shoot someone. Mafiosa, the Italian mafia. Tony said to Vini, his cousin, go blow up this guy. And he went and did it. The murderer that blew up the person, obviously is guilty of murder, no problem. A guy that murder is death penalty. What happened to Tony who sent him? Is Tony also should be put to death as a murderer? Or he can say the same claim. If the Jew sends someone to kill someone, he doesn't get killed. Only the murderer gets killed. By the Goyim, this rule does not apply. If a Goy sends someone to kill someone, he's just as guilty. Some differences between you should not kill of Jews and you should not kill by Goyim. If that case, how exactly Paro thought 
is going to be dismissed for killing all this baby and pin it to Yochevet and Miriam. You're just as guilty. You're Ben Noach. Ben Noach not allowed to give orders to anyone to kill, especially when you're a king. So they're afraid of you. If they won't do it, you'll kill them. So you're actually fully responsible for the murder. What's the answer to this question? The answer is, Rabotai, when a goy sends another goy to kill, both of them are guilty of murder. But when a goy sends a Jew to kill, it's a different story. The Jew is taking full responsibility for killing. Why? He cannot be a messenger to commit a sin for someone else. The sin is all on you. Oh, so that's already a different story over here. So Paro didn't know that. Paro thought, let me pin it on them. They'll take full responsibility. In the end, he was guilty 100%. In Masechet Sota, page 12, we learn that Amram was Gdolado. The father of Moshe Rabbeinu is one of four people who never made one sin in his entire life. Four people in the entire history of the world never ever committed even one sin. Can you believe it? Entire life, not one sin. Amram was one of them. Ishai, the father of David. Kilav, the son of David Amelech, he had a righteous boy, Kilav. And uh, Binyamin, the son of Yaakov. Four never made a sin. Everybody else committed sins. Those four, the Gemara say, if the Gemara mentioned four, it means those are the only one. If there would be seven, the Gemara would mention seven. If there would be 500, the Gemara will not get into names. Too many. Same thing with birds. The Torah, Torah name all the non-kosher birds. Eagle, this, that, hawk. Why? Because all the other birds are kosher. So the minority are murderer birds. Murderers cannot be eaten by a Jew. Same thing, leopards, dogs, anyone who murders, bites, attacks, is not kosher. Only animals that surrender are kosher, such as goats, these, even deer. Deer is kosher. Giraffe, kosher. Uh, bison, kosher. Cows, kosher. You don't have any murderer animals that are kosher. Not by birds, not by fish, and not by animals. And behemoth, none. It's very interesting. Only vegetarian animals that eat grass, not animals that eat other animals. Giraffe does not eat other animals. Bison does not eat other animals. Cow, goats, deer, they don't eat other animals. If they would murder other, it would not go into a body of a Jew that is a son of God and must be holy. David Amelech, one of the most righteous people in the history of the world. When you read Tehillim, you cannot stop from crying. Just from the words, if you understood the words. If you understood the words of the Tehillim when you read, it's hard to hold the tears. Such a holy neshama, Mashiach will come from him. He wanted so much to build Bet HaMikdash, 
And Hashem said to him, I'm sorry, you cannot build Bet HaMikdash. Why? You killed few Goim murderers in the time of war. They deserve to die. They're filthy monsters. It's mitzvah to kill them. No question. You're not getting punished for killing them. It's 100% mitzvah to kill a Hamas terrorist who come to murder Jewish boys. It's not a sin. It's mitzvah. However, Reality-wise, hand that took a soul of someone out of his body and made him stop living, this kind of hands cannot build the holy altar inside the holy temple. And it cannot build the house of God. The hands that build the house of God must be clean from blood and must be clean from dirty money. No drugs money, no stolen money, and no murder. It's very interesting. In the Torah, blood and money is the same word. Damim. Damim. Dmei Chanukah, it's money. Dam, it's blood. Why? Money and blood always goes together. Why? If you steal a thousand dollars from a person, and it took him two days to make it, from morning to night, 10 hours a day. 20 hours, he made $1,000. Worked very hard in moving. Carry refrigerators on his back in 95 degrees, Manhattan, in those old buildings, no elevator. After two days, he's crashed. He gave it to his friend. His friend ate the money. I'm sorry, I have a gambling problem. Ate the money. The money that he stole from him, is money or it's two days of life? Two days of life. What's money? Money is a piece of paper. Question is, what's this paper will be translated to? So if someone had $10,000 that he was on the way to give it to Yeshiva for them to sit and learn Torah and you stole it from him, you will be punished for preventing learning Torah of 20 Avrechim for the entire month that each one of them get $500 a month in Israel to learn, and they were supposed to get 500 each multiplied by 20 Avrechim, it would be $10,000, you stole it. Now, as results of that, they couldn't sit all month and learn Torah, and each one of them does 600,000 mitzvot per day, multiplied by 20, which is 12 million mitzvot per day, multiplied by six days a week, right, which is 72 million mitzvot a week, and multiply by four, it will be 288 million mitzvot went down the drain because you stole $10,000 for your drugs, or for your gambling, or for your greedy stomach. What happened if the person was on the way to the casino with the $10,000 and you stole it from him? You're lucky. <laughs> it did not go to Torah, so at least that part you got safe from. However, you're still guilty of taking X amount of days from his life. How long does it take him to steal, to make $10,000? That's what you count like you kill him. So if you already decided to steal $10,000, make sure it's not from someone poor. Make sure you steal from a very rich guy. Why? Either way, you're going to get punished for stealing. It's sin from the Torah. But if you stole it from Bill Gates, he makes it in a minute. So it counts like you murder his life for one minute. 
פיסטולת הוא בחור ישיבה, he took a year of his life. Here you're going to be punished for every day of suffering that he had, and here you will be punished for the one minute suffering that he had, if he had. If he had, he may not even notice it. Ah, 10,000, I'm not even calling the police to report. The time I'll be on the phone with the report and with the police, I can make 20, 30,000 dollars every minute. Why would Bill Gates waste time to call the police for 10,000 dollars ring that was stolen by the cleaning lady? Most likely he will not waste his time. But if you steal from an ordinary person 10,000 dollars ring, he doesn't sleep for a month. Wow, it took me so long to, to make this ring and all that. Talk. So now the question is, Amram was Gdolador. Once Paro said to kill all the, the male, Amram said, what are we getting married for? We're going to have children and they're going to kill them. Everybody should get divorced. He said to his wife, let's get divorced. Why? You become pregnant, you will give birth, and this monster will take the baby and kill him. What's the point? So what happened? Miriam, his daughter, the prophet, came to him and said to him, your decree is worse than Paro. Paro made a decree against the male. You made a decree against the male and female. Because of you, no one will be born. Here at least the female will, will survive. By you, nobody will be born. Will be gone in one generation. So because of that, he took back his wife, married her again, and they gave birth to Moshe Rabbeinu. How old was Yochevet when Moshe Rabbeinu was born? 130 years old. So all of you young ladies that you didn't get married yet, don't lose hope. It's no big deal. So what? You're 25, you're 30, even 40. You still have all the way to go to 130. If you'll be righteous like Yochevet and Sarah, yeah. If not, will Hashem change the law of nature for you? That's a question. But one thing we have to know, when Moshe Rabbeinu was born, what was his name? What name his parents gave him? Yekutiel. Who gave him the name Moshe? De Goya. Batya, Batya Bat Paro, Minamayim Meshitihu, Meshitihu, I pulled him out of the water, that's why I will call him Moshe. Why the Torah took the name that the Goya gave him and left the name that Amram Gdolador gave him, they left it alone. Why they call him Moshe? Huh? Because she gave him the name while she was making an effort to save his life. She saw his far, she reached her arm all the way, and Hashem made her a miracle that her arm stretched far and pulled it. The Gemara say, why would she be so dumb to send her hands knowing it's so far? Well, don't I know how far my hand can reach? My hand is two feet the most. And he's 20 feet into the water. What, how it will help me to go like this? If someone would look at me, what are you doing? I'm trying to grab this baby over there. Don't you see so far? Well, you're normal. What happened to your eyes? You, you don't know how to calculate uh, distance? Of course I know. So why are you going like this? 
We have a rule in the Torah. I must do the maximum I can. Once I finish to do my ishtadlut, that's when Hashem comes into the picture. So I did what I can, and Hashem will do what He can. And I'll give you a proof for it. A few years ago, I was invited to England to a Shabbaton in London. The guy that invited me, a very nice guy, we're still very good friends until today. Once I stayed in his house, very nice person, a real gentleman. So, it's Mamash Retzini, serious, tzaddik, Baruch Hashem, good midot, class, great ashkafa, great ideology. Kenny Rabu. So, he made, he made the arrangement for me to fly Thursday evening. Around 6.30 was my flight. I'm supposed to arrive on the morning to London. Right away, go to pray Shachrit. As I'm driving with two big suitcases full of CDs, as I'm driving to JFK, massive traffic like this, you can't move. What's going on here? It's always traffic on the Van Wick, but what happened that day? beyond anything you ever see. I call him up on WhatsApp. I say to him, you know what? I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it. It's, oh, good thing you called. I forgot to tell you. Your flight got canceled. I was happy, actually. If it got, it got canceled, at least I won't mess up. They prepared that I speak in, uh, I don't know, 10 or 12 places, different places, here a, here a lecture, here a lecture, Sudash Lishit, Shabbat morning, Sunday morning. At least if the flight got canceled, I won't look like a fool. After all this arrangement, I missed the flight. And maybe they will have a flight later on. So I said to him, what, got canceled? He said, yes, but don't worry, I put you on another flight. I'm thinking, I hope it's at least an hour later. But I, otherwise, I'm not going to make it. I said to him, and when is this flight? He said, ah, it's half an hour earlier. <laughs> so if I had a chance, the chance was over. I said to him, earlier? Do you know what I'm going through now to get to the flight? There's no chance I'll make it. But he's such, he has such a munah, this guy. He said to me, look, Rabbi, we, we tried everything we can. <laughs> Hashem runs the world. Let's see what's going to happen. Usually I park the car in the long term, take the train, you know, I leave the car for four or five days. It's, you don't put the car in the short term. It will cost you hundreds of dollars parking. I take the train five minutes and I get on a flight. I say to myself, it's no time to be cheap now. I have to park the car right by the terminal. I don't care. Pay $40 a day, five days, whatever it is. At least I have a chance to cross the street. I parked the car right there in the terminal. I ran with the two big suitcases, $4,000 CDs in the suitcases, packed. I walked into the terminal. I'm all sweaty, nervous. I cannot miss this flight. So many flyers and arrangements there in London. I walked into the terminal. I see 40 people waiting online with suitcases to check in. That's it. I'm finished. Flight is in half an hour. I have to wait an hour here online. It's to all the flights, not only to my flight. 
So by the time I'll check my suitcase, my flight will take off, will take off already. There's no chance. I'm, think, I'm standing there by the elevator. Hundreds of people around me, running, coming, going in, going out. You know, JFK. I'm thinking to myself, where will my help come from? So I'm thinking to myself, maybe I'm just going to sacrifice the two suitcases, kaparat avonot, $4,000, I leave them somewhere. Let them destroy it, what can I do? But my heart, I said, what, 4,000 CDs, I'm going to throw to the garbage now? And plus, what's the point of going to a place on a lecture trip without taking follow-up? One lecture will make a change. No, you need to give people a bunch of CDs, 30 hours of, of Torah, each one. That's what's going to make the change. As I'm so desperate, not knowing what to do. Remember, it's, Friday, it's Thursday evening. It's not that much time. If you're going to catch a flight 10 hours later or, the, or Friday morning, you're not going to make it before Shabbat. We're calling it to call. I'm standing over there, so desperate. Hashem, please make a miracle here before it's, I don't know what's going to be now. Just when I'm thinking what to do, on my, on my shoulder from behind. Rabbi! Turn around. I see a guy, policeman, little earring, mustache, Italian name. Guy, working in the airport. Rabbi, where are you heading to? I say to him, I'm supposed to get on a flight to London, but look what's going on here. And the flight is in half an hour. By the time I check my suitcases in and I go through security, I'm done. And I have so many lectures. Rabbi, what do you got me for? Follow me. Follow me. He took me, opened those ropes, took me right away directly to the business class area. Now remember, I'm overweight by hundreds of dollars already. I said, no, I paid them whatever it is. It's overweight. Taking a lot of CDs to fill up the suitcase. There was an Indian guy working for the airline, British Airways, or, or I think it was an Indian airline, whatever the airline was. Please check in, print for him a boarding pass. Rabbi, I'm waiting for you right there, you see? The VIP, where all the politicians and presidents go. Not in a regular line. I'm waiting for you over there. I give it to this guy. He did not wait anything. <laughs> overweight. <laughs> he gives me a boarding pass. Quickly, I run with my little carry-on. I run over there. He took me through this. Right away, passed to the machine. Ah! Three minutes. I was already waiting for the flight. <laughs> but before, I say to him, I can't believe this miracle. You don't understand how, what disaster you just saved. He looked at me and he said to me, you don't even know how lucky you are. Today, it's my last day here. Wow. Tomorrow, I'm moving to Atlanta. Wow. That's what he told me. So I said to him, let me take a picture with you. A, a moment like this? You got to take a picture. No, you're not allowed to take pictures of police here. Okay, let me write down your name. I'm going to start my lecture in London by telling the story and thank you for the miracle. And that's what I did. 
Now, when I'm thinking about it after a few years, who knows, maybe this one was <laughs> How do we know? Maybe Hashem, Hashem sends people with a tachposet of Eliyahu Navi. Mamash, miracle like this. What were the odds? Came like this behind me by the elevator. Rabbi, ah, he recognized me. He was from behind me, Bichlal, from the side. Where are you heading to? So, you do the maximum you can. Now, I want to tell why I, remi- I remember this story. Because when he told me I changed your flight to half an hour earlier, first thing came to my mind, make a U-turn and go back home. Why wasting time now? Go park the car, run with the suit. There's no chance. That's when I said, no, no, no. A Jew doesn't give up. I do my maximum I can. The rest is not in mind. At least when Hashem says, oh, you missed the flight, that's your calculation already. But I must do to the maximum I can. Imagine I would turn around, go back home. They'll call me. Where are you? I said, no, I missed the flight. All this lecture will not take place. All the CDs we gave, and there's dozens of ballet tshuva from that trip, but until today, some of them in touch with me. None of that would happen. Then I come to Shamaim, and Hashem say, look what you did. What did, what did you do? Why did you make a U-turn? Why not? What were the odds? One to a million? Look what I prepared for you. A miracle, send you this Italian policeman or Eliyahu Anavi, whoever he was. Why, where is your emuna? This is the story of Batya Batparo. Moshe is all the way there. She tried to reach him. Hashem said, oh, your hands will become longer than usual. Why? Save the messenger of Hashem. Now, We have, a, we have an interesting thing in life. Sometimes a wicked person is trying to sabotage everything he can to the righteous one. We see it all the time. In Tehillim, it's written that Tzofer Ashala Tzadik, the wicked is hiding, waiting to step the, the righteous. And the sword that he prepares for him will be reversed into his heart. That's what it's written. This is obviously metaphoric. It means if you think you can go against Hashem, think again. You can't. Whatever supposed to be according to the will of Hashem, it will happen. The more you do to prevent it, the more you help the cause. Where do we learn it from? Paro. He said, the people that read in the stars, they stagnanim. They read in the stars the horoscope. They say the savior of the Jewish nation is about to be born any day. So Paro said, throw all the babies into the water. The parents of Moshe realized that that's what they're doing. They went and put Moshe in the water. Otherwise, who would put a baby in the water? Hide them by the, by the land, in a safe place, in some basement. Why are you putting him by the water? He's going to go all the way with the wind. you never find him ever again. Put him in a static place and come to check every day. No, put him by the water because they will tell Paro he's already in the water, the baby. Like this, they stop killing the Jewish babies. So Hashem said to Paro, you want to kill my messenger? Not only you can kill him, 
You will raise him in your house. The Gemara in Masechet Shabbat, the Gemara said there was a Jew named Yosef Mokir Shabbat. Yosef, that known as the best one that respects Shabbat. With the little money that he has, he buys the best stuff for Shabbat. Best fish, best meat. He's not worried about money. Shabbat is on Hashem's expense. The Gemara say, the people that read in the stars told his, his neighbor, the Goy. He had a very rich Goy, neighbor. And he said to the Goy, we see in the stars that this Jew will get everything you own. It will all go to him. This guy that was an anti-Semite, imagine what a punishment. From all the punishments in the world, he is going to lose all his wealth, and it's going to his biggest enemy, the Jewish religious neighbor. So what did he do? He said, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fool him. Let me sell all my real estate, my stores, my buildings, my apartments, my jewelry, everything. And I will make one big 10 carat diamond with all the money, worth millions. And I will put it in the hat that I'm wearing every day in my turban. It will be inside this hat, inside the stone hidden. Maybe a zipper, put the diamond inside. And he put the hat on him. One time he walked by the bridge. Hashem brought the wind. The wind made his hat fly all the way into the river. In the meantime, a big fish came, swallowed it. Friday arrived. Goim that caught this big fish, bring it to the Jewish market. Who is going to buy such a fish? Only the Jews. Who is going to buy such a fish? Remember, there was no refrigerator back then. So you need a big family for such a big fish. So they came to the market, all the Jews closing their boots. It's two hours before Shabbat. You came late. No, no, we must find a customer. By Sunday, it's going to be all rotten. We must find a customer. There's only one person that is willing to buy something for Shabbat, even in the last minute. He already bought small fish for Shabbat, but if you show him such a fish, immediately he'll buy it from you. Where does he live? Over there. They knock on his door. You, Yosef, yeah, we caught this beautiful fish. We give it to you 50% off. We heard that you respect Shabbat. Here. Oh, my. Give it to me. That gave them the money. He opened it up. Huge diamond inside. The hat opened it up. Wow, what a diamond. The guy that had, he was dreaming a bad dream, and he went to the people, and they saw the dream that all your money will go to this Yosef. Now remember, he has a building in Manhattan, he has a building in Queens, he has few apartments in the Bronx, he has a house in Israel, he has um, in the stocks in companies in the stock market, he has jewelry in a safe in a bank. How you consolidate everything into one place that it will go to the, to the hand of the Jew? It's impossible. Each one is a different place. So he actually did the job. <laughs> he went and sold everything. Everything got into one account. He bought this one diamond and I gave it to you. 
What is it? You fool. You want to go against Hashem's will. Not only you can succeed, you will actually be used as a servant to execute, execute your own verdict. So the question is, the question that we have to ask, why Chazal, our sages in the Gemara, they had to tell us the whole story about Yosef and the Goy. Why can't they just say Yosef was respecting Shabbat with all his effort? One time he bought a huge fish, and that fish had a diamond. Why? You know, because the Gemara say, if you don't have enough money to buy for Shabbat, go and borrow, and I will be your guarantor. Of course I will borrow. What do you expect, that I'll die? No, no. The Gemara say, you're not allowed to borrow money from someone unless you have a plan how to pay it back. You have some watch, you have some diamond. In case something goes wrong, I'll sell it and I'll pay you. I'll sell my house and i pay you. I'll sell my car and i pay you. If you have nothing, you're not allowed to borrow. When, you're not, when you don't have a plan how to pay it back, in case something goes wrong, you have to tell the person, I'm borrowing from you, but I have no guarantee that I'll be able to pay it to you. Will you still give it to me in case I, if something goes wrong, you give it to me as a tzedakah? Then I'll take it from you. If not, I'm not, I'm not, I can't guarantee that I'll pay it back. And therefore, I'm not allowed to borrow it because the, the Torah says, Someone wicked borrow and will not pay. The Gemara says, But why the Torah call him wicked now? Later, a year later, when he didn't pay, he became wicked. But now when he borrowed, he had one year. Why the Torah call him Rasha now? The Torah said a wicked person borrow and will not pay later on. It should have been a person will borrow and will not pay Rasha. The answer is because of the time when he borrowed, he did not have a backup plan in case something goes wrong in my business. I have what to liquidate and pay. Because he did not care to jeopardize the money of another Jew, he's already wicked, unless it's for Shabbat or Yom Tov. You don't have money to buy food for Shabbat, and you don't have guarantee. You don't have what to give. You come to a rich man, can you lend me $500? Why? I need food for Shabbat. I have 10 kids, maybe a guest or two coming, I don't have money to buy food. How are you going to pay me back? Hashem say, levu alai v'ani porea. You believe in Hashem, you're religious, right? You have a big yamaka, you have long beard, nice peot, beautiful sombrero. You and me are Hasidim, no? We bought Hasidim from the same shtibel. We believe in the same Torah. We learn the same Gemara. Hashem say, if you don't have for Shabbat, go and borrow. I'm your guarantor. Who would you want a guarantor? My uncle? Oh, Hashem. That's, by the way, where you see if the lender really have a munaf. If you would say to him, absolutely, right, I count on Hashem more than I count on the guarantor, your uncle. Here is the money for Shabbat. Then he shows that he actually live according to the Torah. 
Many years ago, I had a guy who used to make my CDs in Monsi. He had a, an office with machines. He used to make my CDs. Back then, CDs were booming. There was no USBs yet. We didn't make books yet. It was only CDs. We made massive amount of CDs every week. He was making 20, 30 cents per CD profit. One time, he decided to sell the business. Wanted to move to Israel. Now he lives in Israel. He decided to sell the business. One Hasidish guy came with his son. Businessman, rich. Hasid from Brooklyn. With his son. He wants to buy a business. He wants his son to, be, to do something with his life. In business. He came to this guy. He checked all the deposits. The expenses, how much you want for the business? $100,000. The Hasid check everything. He's a sharp man. He said to him, your business does not justify such a price. You barely make a profit. What, a few thousand dollars a month you make? Two, three thousand That's not what I was looking for. The innocent, naive Baal Tshuva, the guy, the Israeli guy, he said to him, Innocently, but we make thousands of CDs for Rabbi Mizrahi every month. If you will only see what emails we get every week, how many people become religious, you would be honored to have such a business. Imagine, not only you make some money, you also save thousands of souls every year. What was the answer of the Hasid? This is good for the books. Now, tachles. Meaning, in one sentence, he's already showing you what kind of a religious guy he is. Look, extremely religious. Emuna, zero. Zero, not even one percent. Zero, completely zero. Some secular people I know have more emuna than him. Why? Sometimes I tell them, invest in CDs, and they do. He, and he told me, if you know what a rich guy he was, he never told me his name, and I don't know who he is, but I'm just letting you know. A guy worth millions, and he wants to buy a business for his son to keep him busy. And he can develop the business. You know, you invest, you advertise, you can get some more people. But the guy said say to him, you have an opportunity to be a part of an operation that saves the same children. He should have said to him, if that's the case, I will do everything even without profit. Whatever it costs me, I don't mind. At least I will really be a part of saving so many souls every year. What did he say to him? Give me another three, four thousand dollars profit a month. And I sell all the ballet tshuva to go to the garbage. Let them drop dead. I don't care. I don't care about them. I don't care about their souls. And I don't care about Hashem. I care about my stomach. That maybe I'm going to eat some more kugel. And gefilte fish on Shabbos. Maybe I will take it with me to Olam Abba. The beautiful mansion that I build. That's how stupid we are. And you think we are better than him? Many of us are much worse than him. At least he said to him, that's good for the books. Meaning, who are you telling stories, you little uh, Baal Tshuva? 
You want to teach me? I already know. That's for the books. But reality, how much money I will make? That's reality. How many hundreds of times over the years I've seen cases like this in different versions. Why? Zero emuna in what the Torah says. And you want a proof? When Ravovadia Yosef Zatzal or one of his sons used to come to Brooklyn for Shabbat or for a week, there were many billionaires waiting online with huge checks. 18,000, 36,000, 52,000, 101,000, waiting online with a letter, with a list of people to bless. That the, the holy rabbi will bless all the people. This girl for Shiduch, this guy for Refuash Lema, this one for having children, for Parnasa. Check $101,000 for what? to shake the hand of the rabbi and for him to read refuah lema and bracha and parnasah to these people. Fantastic. Emunat chachamim. We spoke about it an hour ago. Emunat chachamim. Beautiful. They deserve a huge chazaku baruch. At least they don't go to some fake babot. They come to real holy rabbis. The question we have to ask is, if a poor person, Talmid Chacham, they're learning a kolel, will come and say, I'm broke. I don't have money to send my, ch my children to yeshivot. I am a few months behind the mortgage. I'm $50,000 in deficit. I don't know what to do. You, Baruch Hashem, a billionaire. Hashem blessed you. Can you help me out? You expect me to pay all your bills? I give you 1800 in best case scenario. If he's generous, 1800 He may even give him 500 And I even know one billionaire that gave somebody $50. And he respected him like you never saw in your life. He told me, I have to see what the table he opened up. Chacham, 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 chacham. Gave him the respect better than the Baba Sali. And in the end, gave him $50 check. So the question is, the Torah say if a poor person come to you and open up his hand begging for help, the Torah said, do not tight your hand, open your hand, patroach tiftach, naton titen lo. Give him with generosity. Because of that, I will bless you in everything you do. It's a verse in the Torah. Now, as giant as Chacham Ovadia Yosef was, one of the biggest of our generation and other generation, no questions about that. Big giant in Torah, big tzaddik, big Yereshamayim, amazing. I wish each one of us to reach 1% of his level. Believe me, we will be very happy. There's no question about his greatness. No question. But with all due respect and a million bakashad mechila from Chacham Ovadia, the holy Chacham. Who is greater, him or Hashem? Obviously the question is not, it's not even a question. So if Chacham Ovadia will bless your people in the least, there is a very good chance that they will actually get the blessing.
maybe this one will get married, maybe this one will have a child, maybe this one will get saved, maybe yes, maybe not. It's depend on Hashem. There is a good chance more than when you go to a doctor or someone else. Why? Because now you got Hashem involved. For the honor of the Chacham is willing to do something he did not plan to do. But if you do what Hashem told you, you give it to the poor, and thanks to that, I will bless you in everything you do. Why now you're not willing to give 101,000 and not even 52? I'm talking very rich people, not talking ordinary people. People that have billions. If you see an Avrech collapse, the Torah say bring him back on his, on his legs. Support him. Pick him up. He's collapsed. He fell. Help him to get up. The Torah says if you walk in the street and see the donkey of your enemy collapse from his weight. Your, friend, your enemy. He speaks for Shonara about you to everyone. Don't listen to him. He's this, he's that, he's a crook, he's bad, he's that. Your enemy, his donkey collapse. He has bags of flowers on his back, four or five of them, 100 pounds each. The donkey in a hot weather, up the hill, collapse. I've seen it happen. The donkeys collapse from the weight. You must run and help, first of all, the donkey to come back on his feet. And you see, if you can load again the weight in such a way that he'll be able to go. If not, at least you help him to pick him up. That's an obligation. The Torah says you're not allowed to ignore that the donkey of your friend collapsed. The Gemara say, if the donkey of my enemy collapse, I don't have permission to ignore it. I must go and help. If the soul of my friend, not my enemy, this is my enemy, and that's not him, that's his donkey. Who cares about the donkey now? You cannot ignore the donkey. Go and pick him up. If the soul of your friend is collapsed, Shabbat is about to marry a non-Jewish woman, all his children will be going, sends his children to public school, they're all with tattoos and ponytails and earrings and how they curves, how they behave, look what music they listen to. You can ignore the soul of your friend. You cannot ignore the donkey of your friend. You can ignore his soul. How can you ignore his soul? What's with your cousin? Still secular. What have you done in the last 10 years to save his soul? Rabbi, I don't push my nose into people's business. Why? He's not, he's not religious. He doesn't like religion. But what did you do to try to save his soul? Nothing, I just told you. I don't push my nose into other people's business. If somebody will offer you $100,000 to make him a Baal Tshuva, would you do it? Would you do it or not? How many people, you ask them to find a Shiduch to your daughter? It's half Shiduch crisis. A lot of excuses. Tell her to send the resume. Eh, we'll see. Yeah, they get back to you. They don't. 
What happens if you write to them, I will give you $100,000 if you find a good guy. Immediately you push all other cases to the back, and all you're trying to do is this one. Why? Because you're not doing it for her. Because you're doing it for your stomach, for your selfishness. If someone will come and say, if you make your cousin Shomer Shabbat, I'll buy you a brand new Bentley, $300,000. Would you try? Of course. What happened to I don't push my nose into other people's business? This rule does not apply. I told you the story about this Iraqi guy came to me from Great Neck 20 years ago to my house in Monsi. Showed up with a fancy Mercedes. Shalom, you are a Mizrahi? Yeah, what can I do for you? I need to talk to you, it's important. I came all the way from Great Neck. Have a seat. Show me from the window the Mercedes and the key. You see? This can be yours in a minute. It's over $100,000 car, for sure. Fancy Mercedes. All I need from you is to save my son from marrying this Goya. He already decided to get engaged. In two, three months, it's going to be the wedding. That's your job. You save him from the Goya, the car is yours. I begin to ask him some questions. Then I say to him, what about you, Shomer Shabbat? No. But I didn't come about myself. I came to offer you a deal. You save the boy, you get the, the Mercedes. I say to him, okay, fine, fine, I got it. We'll take care of it. But now you're here in my house. You're not afraid to be Mechalel Shabbat. This was 20 years ago. I didn't have the experience of today. Right away, I started to, I said to him, I cannot let you live like this before I show you what Mechalel Shabbat is. Hey, Rabbi, I did not come for myself, I told you. I came for my son. I said to him, when you come to your son and tell him you're not allowed to marry the Goya because Hashem said so. Because it's written in the Torah. He loves her. She's probably a nice girl. He's going to tell you, why shouldn't I marry her? What, she's not a human being? She is a human being. She's very nice. She loves him. She's, uh, she's willing to do everything for him. Why shouldn't he marry her? Because you will show him that Hashem said that you're not allowed. No questions asked. Regardless if she's good or bad. So your son is going to tell you that's not allowed and to be Mechalel Shabbat is also not allowed and it's in the same Torah. By now, he grabbed the key, got angry. I really hurt his ego. He walked down a few steps, got into the Mercedes and I saw my Mercedes is, <laughs> is leaving the neighborhood. Baruch Hashem. Top, he got angry. Why? I didn't come for me. I had one guy, Temani, in Queens Boulevard. He used to be misedet Abayit. Abayit restaurant. There was a Yemenite guy, Inon. He lived in Brooklyn. He was a friend of the owner of Menashe, the owner of Abayit, 20 years ago. This guy, Inon, he knew all the Israelis in Brooklyn and in Queens. He said to me, I'm going to make you a lecture in a restaurant every Wednesday. You come at 10 o'clock when he close until 12. I'll bring you everyone you can think of. I'll fill up the place in one condition. What? 
אותי, עזוב. With me, don't talk anything. Don't tell me Shabbat, don't tell me Tfilin, nothing. He lives with a woman, not married, boyfriend and girlfriend, Chalel Shabbat. I know everything, you don't have to sell me anything. Look how a person can live in such a conflict. He's willing to make the efforts to bring all the chilonim, because he understands that it's mitzvah to save their neshamot. But I want to follow my desires. So exclude me. Save them. You understand, Rabotai? A person can live in a very big conflict every second of his life. That's what's happening today. The government is fooling us. Everything is rigged. Election, this, that. Media, social media, they own the country. They took over the world, the wicked people, these lefty liberals. They took over the world. They speak about democracy, human rights, freedom of speech. That's, you know, I told you already years ago, there's no such thing, democracy and freedom of speech. Some of you laugh. What are you talking about? America is known as freedom of speech. They closed the speech of the President of the United States in the history of the world. Something like this never happened. That the President cannot talk to the people. No television channel has agreed to put him. Freedom of speech. Freedom of baloney. They fool all the people. They destroy you and then they throw a little bone to you. You know how you beat up the dog all day and all night, once in a while you throw a bone? There used to be a big monster. Not so big, they were bigger than him. His name was uh, Stalin. Stalin. Joseph Stalin. Joseph, one of the biggest monsters, Hitler, Stalin. I don't have to tell you who these monsters were. You have a list, Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, Hitler, Stalin, Eichmann, Saddam Hussein, Khomeini. There's a list of them. One time he took a chicken in front of all his followers and started to pull one feather at a time. Pah! Very painful. The chicken was going crazy with pain. Even blood came out. Pull out the feather, one, and another one, and another one, until this chicken became totally skinny and bald. No feathers. Then he took from his pocket few seeds of wheat, and he threw it on the floor. And the chicken, bleeding with pain, quickly was eating the wheat. And he started to walk, and the chicken followed him. And he threw another one, and the chicken, everywhere he goes, he follow him. He said to them, now I give you a lesson about people's stupidity. How stupid the people in this world are. I just tortured that chicken for hours. Finished his life. I throw him a little piece of, of wheat is willing to chase me and run after me until the end of the world. You understand? Exactly. That was the point. People say, oh, the government sent us $600. You fool. These idiots over here, they close all restaurants, close all businesses, destroyed everyone. 
Someone here before the lecture tonight, I just saw him now. I said, how is, how is everything? How you survived the corona? I haven't seen you for 10 months. Came to meet me before the lecture. He said to me, oh, there's no more business. I said, no business? I had to close. Corona. Everything he built, this went down. Finished. It doesn't work already for months. So how do you survive? Baruch Hashem, in my business, you have 60 and 90 days billing. So still people owe me little by little the sand, that's how I survive. Right? That's why they did. Today, Como, the genius, say we will have to open the businesses. Today. Trump published it before they closed it. He say, even though the corona did not go anywhere yet, and we're still suffering very much from it, we have no choice but to open all the businesses because soon there will be nothing to open. Trump wrote, good morning. <laughs> Where were you until now? I've been saying it for months. Do you understand the hypocrisy? When Trump is no more, but by the way, you should know one thing. Even the people that went with Trump, they all turned their back to him. Pence and the other ones. They all, as soon as they saw that the winner became a loser and he lost, you find out their real faces. How many people still stuck with them after? Not that many. That's called in the Torah ungratefulness. Kfiyut tova. Kfui tova. I can't stand. Why you still with him? I remember what he did for us. In Israel, Baruch Hashem, many people appreciate him. If he moved to Israel, he will be the most admired person in the history of Israel. By half of the Israelis. The other half are lefty liberal traders. They hate him very much. Because they want the Hamas to take over and he's not exactly a, a supporter of the Hamas. They want Iran to make a bomb that they will put us in hell. But he's not exactly a supporter of Hamas. They want to make the whole world Sodom and Gomorrah. He's not exactly the one that will give them that. But the normal ones is the hero. Once he say, if I will run to the election in Israel, I'm sure I will win. Guarantee he will win the Prime Minister of Israel. Guarantee. Baby, with all due respect, maybe will shoe shine his shoes. Maybe, if he's lucky. If he will go now against Bibi, and by the way, don't get, don't get it wrong, Bibi, with all his defects, he did a lot of great things to Israel. This vaccine, it was a brilliant move of Bibi. Bibi called the head of Pfizer, and he said to him, I want to get millions of vaccines for my people. They told him, wait online. We have America, we have all Europe, that's hundreds of millions of people. Once we're done with them, a year later you will get it. Meaning in Israel we would not get the vaccine another year. 2022. Bibi told him two things. He started to, I heard you Greek, your parents are Holocaust, uh, they died, your grandparents died on Holocaust in Greece. You're a Jew. But then he told him something else. Israel is the most organized country when it comes to medical record of their citizens. Every person in Israel has a file 
with every medicine he ever took, with every vaccine he ever took, with any condition that he has. When you will give the vaccines to the Israelis first, first it's a small country, you will be able to check after a few months what's the results of your vaccine. For instance, if an old person in his 70s will die, in the world they will tell you that he died from your vaccine. And it will hurt your company very much. But here we will be able to tell you that he had heart condition and liver condition and asthma and cancer and he almost died three times before because everything in Israel is recorded. So that's what got him to take all the vaccines that were made for America and for Europe and pushed it into Israel first. In Israel, by March, another month from now, all the citizens will be vaccinated. They're already giving the second shots now. Meaning, if there is a country, of course it's all with Hashem's will and Hashem's, Hashem's agreement. If Hashem doesn't want us to get out of this misery, he will give us some kind of mutation that the vaccine cannot cure. And we're back to square one. God forbid. Hopefully it won't happen. But with Hashem's permission, it's very possible that in one to two months from now, Israel will go back to full force. Open economy, open businesses, open everything. That's a great advantage because you cannot say something like this about any country in Europe. It may take them six, seven months. In America, same story. Israel will be able to get a lot of business in a world that the European cannot supply right now. They're all in quarantine. Thousands of people die there every week. They are in a very big mess. They lost control over it. The only one that may be able to come out of it is Israel. Number one. And you still have all these thousands of people that's non-stop barking against it. Ah, ah, ah. No, I said to them, I don't get it. Not even 1% of 1% of 1% of the people who got it got any diseases. Or nobody died. Why you continue to spread panic and fear that people will not take the vaccine? I say to one woman, I say to one woman, you are very much against vaccines right now. She said, I will cancel my $100 a month donation because you are pro-vaccine. I say to her, in one to two months from now, you will be begging to get the vaccine. And then we will see what you have to say. Why? Because you won't be able to get on a flight. You won't be able to get into any business. They will make rules that you only can go into public places with a proof that you got vaccinated. Now we will see if you're really a person of principle or you're full of baloney. A lot of the people that scream against it, I promise you, some of them already got the vaccine and some of them will beg for it. Right now they don't take sanctions against people who don't have it yet because there's still plenty of time. But after they finish with all the old people, and they finish with all the sick people, and they're going to move to the regular people, 30, 40, 50 years old people that don't have any record, they say, listen, you may get corona, your life is not in a risk. But maybe other people may get it and die from you. 
You want to come to on a plane? You must prove to us you got vaccinated. Then what are you going to do? You're going to stand online to get a vaccine. And you may by then pay even money for that. Because they may run out of it and say, anyone who wants it now must pay $200 for it. Right now they scream. At one point, the ego will go down and they will see that nobody had any problem. Seven million people or five million people by March in Israel should already get it, both of them. Be'ezrat Hashem, hopefully everything will remain as it is, safe and fast. And the rest of the skeptic people will get the vaccine and will stop torturing us with all their fake conspiracy theories and all the things that they learn on YouTube and all the people that brainwash them with the nonsense. Hopefully, they will come and apologize to all G'dolei Ador. I told her, I don't understand what's the argument. Once Rav Chaim Kanievsky and the rest of the big rabbis in the world said, and they went and took the vaccine, that's the end of the argument. It doesn't really matter anymore what you and me think. We have what the Torah told us. She continued to insist that the rabbis have no idea what they're getting us into. That's the problem when you don't have a munat chachamim. And remember, what kept us alive throughout the generation was all a munat chachamim. The Russian wanted to put Russian in Volozhin. The Beta Levi, Brisk, he got up and he said, the yeshiva will be closed. And we will not put communist Russian into our yeshiva. Because it starts with the language. Tomorrow it's going to be communism. Then it's going to be being this and anti-God and the rest of their garbage. We don't open the door for them. But Rabbi, they're going to close the yeshiva. There's hundreds of students learning here in the highest level. What are we going to do? Where are we going to go? It's not in our hand. It's Hashem's problem. We are allowed to put kfira in yeshiva. We are allowed to bring the infidels into our yeshiva. We are allowed to bring the Blasio and Como into the yeshivot of Brooklyn. No. They threaten us that they're going to stop the budget. And they maybe take the permit and there's not going to be yeshivot. It's not our problem. There's not going to be yeshivot. We run out of here. We move. We cannot allow these gays to come in. We cannot allow their abomination to come in. We cannot let them teach what they teach in a, in a Jewish school here in Long Island about Shiva and Buddha and all the pictures of the Avodah Zarada. You're not allowed to even look at it according to the Torah. That's what they teach our Jewish boys. They call it English. It's all lies. Rav Betalevi say the yeshiva will be closed. We will not surrender to this evil communist. And they did close the yeshiva. And what was the end of it? The big student from that yeshiva went all over and built ten yeshivot like Volozhin. The one yeshiva became ten. That's what happened to me in England. I had four lectures scheduled. Remember the story with the policeman? Four. One of them got cancelled. Why? The liberal reform started to make noise, demonstrations. How you bring him to England? We don't want to hear it. Don't let him speak. What happened to the freedom of speech? 
You have problem, come to the lecture, raise your hand and ask your problems. No, we will close your mouth. They made a lot of noise. How many lectures I gave in the end thanks to them? Ten, or maybe eleven even. Not only that, the place that canceled the lecture apologized. And they say, can we still do a lecture? I said, there's no time left. It's Sunday morning. We'll make breakfast. And the son of the rabbi came to me and said, I would like to sponsor all the CDs. Wow. They felt guilty. So from these evil, evil reshaim, wicked ones, four lectures became ten, and they covered the bill. Why? You do the right thing, the rest is not in your hand. And it looks like you fail. It looks like you lost. It looks like Trump got defeated. The Democrats took over America. It looks to me that there will never be any more Republican government in America. Not in the Congress, not in Senate, ever again. The answer is very simple. They will bring millions of immigrants, Muslims immigrants, to America in the next four years. They will all vote Democrats. And they brainwash all the children in all the public school and all the university in America, and 99% of them are Democrats, and they don't even know what it is. So the future will only be worse. Right now it's 50-50 in Senate. I promise you, next, next election, it's going to be a big difference to them. They took over America. That's very depressing. It's very depressing. They're going to make gay marriage. They're going to bring millions of terrorists to here. They're going to bring the deficit to $50 trillion in the next four years. They're going to let Iran have a, an atomic bomb. They will put back the Hamas in their, on their legs. They will give millions and millions of dollars to the United Nations, the most anti-Semite place in the world. They're going to take the sides of the enemies of Israel against Israel, as they always want to do. They're going to raise the anti-Semitism here in America. And maybe it's the best thing that could have happened to us. Why? Until now, we were praying to Trump to save us. <laughs> Trump, Trump. Some people say, Trump, Gimatria 424. The Mashiach is Gimatria 424. Trump, 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 great, government, peace with the Arabs, Iran is on their knees. Hashem said, what about me? I do everything and you give credits to people. Hashem said, let's do it the other way. I would leave you nobody to count on. Not the Israeli army, not the Israeli government, not the American government, not the Republicans in Senate, nothing. Now... That's the words of the Gemara. That's what will happen before Mashiach comes. Hashem will bring us, the Jewish people, to understanding that we have nobody to count on. Nobody. Not the police to protect us. Not the good goim. Not the government. Not the court. Not the Supreme Court. Not Palit. Nobody can help us besides Hashem. Do you know what would happen? Even those conservative and reforms will begin to scream to Hashem when they're going to make riots in their neighborhoods, in Connecticut and in other places, in Pennsylvania. Why? Because the most wicked person, 
when his life is in danger, who is he screaming to? Not to his grandma. What do you think they're going to do, these reformed Jews, when they will come with torture into their synagogue to burn it, like they did in Pittsburgh? Who are they going to call? Who? To Bernie Sanders? To Sleepy Joe? To the chief of police? Who's going to help them? Maybe for the first time in their life they will scream to Hashem, if you dare save us, maybe they'll do tshuva. Maybe not. But one thing for sure, right now, as of now, it's official. There's no government in Israel, no government in America, social wicked media took over the world. There's nothing to count on. There's nothing to count on. Even the yeshivot in Israel are all in jeopardy of being closed down in the next two, three months. No money comes in from America. The dollar went down 20%. We have nothing left. Just Hashem. Well, this is as of today, remember, Rabotai. As of today, the beginning of Sefer Shemot, there is nothing left to count on. Not a coup. Trump will not attack Iran, and he will not make a revolution in the last minute, and he did not plan it like some dreamers are dreaming. It's not over yet. It's all over. But the good news is, now we're in the hand of Hashem. With all due respect to Trump, that was very good to us, is not a billion of how much Hashem loves us. And Trump doesn't have the ability of Hashem. And Hashem gave us promises in the Torah, how it's going to go down. Who is going to get saved? Someone that has Torah and Gmilut Hasadi. You're full of Torah? You're full of generosity and help and kindness? You're saving my children? You give donations? You're working on your midot? You will be saved. You don't? Run to Sleepy Joe, maybe he'll have mercy on you if you remember who he is by then. You understand? More people voted for President Trump in the history of the United States. 75 million people, 20 million more than last time. No one in the history got so many people. But the other side is crooks. Sleepy Joe doesn't remember what day is today. All of a sudden got 80 million. 15 million more than Hussein Obama. That was a sharp speaker. What happened? Hashem shows you, I run the world. Nobody can do anything. I run the world. Trump did well. Perfect. He performed. Yeah, 75 million people supported him. What happened? I decided that this wicked will take over. So what did I do? I made the Chinese and the European and who knows who else rig the election. All of a sudden, 20 million people came out of nowhere from grave. A lot of dead people voted for Sleepy Joe. You know, somehow, a lot of uh, dead people all of a sudden came back to life. Triat HaMetim happened in America. Already. They said in the Gemara that Triat HaMetim of Chutz Laaretz will happen before. You know, it will start here. Okay, Baruch Hashem, we got it. But remember, Rabotai, don't be depressed. Don't lose hope. We still have the best weapon. What is it? Avinu Shabashamaim, Avinu Malkenu, Enlanu al Milismoch, now let's work on Aremuna. It's only Hashem.
Nobody else. Just Hashem. No more believing in politicians. No more believing in the police. No more believing in the army. No more believing in all kinds of diplomatic efforts. Iran? Iran will have a bomb? Very good. Let them have a bomb. Anyone can die without Hashem? Nobody. So if Hashem wants all of us to die, God forbid, that means we deserve it. Better will pay the price in this world than in the next world. Because the punishment over there will be a lot more than in one second to get burned. An atomic bomb, before you realize, it's over. You don't even feel pain. If one day they drop a bomb anywhere in the world, the people that will die before they will even have a second to think, they will be finished. They won't even have a, a pain like a smack. You know when you, when you punch a person, you give him two, three smacks and you kill him? He suffered a minute before. And nuclear, you don't feel anything. All of a sudden, your soul is flying in space. Why are you so afraid of it? You should be afraid what will happen after the nuclear bomb. Where exactly your soul is going to? Is it going to heaven? Joining Rabbi Akiva, Moshe Rabbeinu, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, and all the tzaddikim? And all your grandparents from Bukhara, and Ashkenaz, and Syria, and Iran? all the holy people of the generation, or now, on top of everything, that all your money and your real estate got burned in a second, and your life, on top of everything, you need to sit 500 years in Gehenom, which Auschwitz does not come near the suffering over there, if you learn Masechet Gehenom. The Ramban, in the introduction to Sefer Iov, in the beginning, the Ramban say, Seventy years of the suffering of Yov. He lost all his children, his money, his health. He had such suffering. He went crazy mentally from how much he had and how much Hashem took from him. To the point that he said to Hashem, you confuse me with Oyev. Yov, Oyev. It's the same letters. That's how much he suffered. The Ramban said, 70 years of the suffering of Yov cannot reach one hour in Gehenom of the suffering of Gehenom. One hour. That's the Ramban. Migdole Arishonim. 750 years ago. Almost 800 years ago. One hour in Gehenom is more torture than 70 years of the tortures of Yov. Do you know what happened to a person that all his children died? Lo'alenu? Can you understand the suffering that they have to go through many years after? It's not only the time of the accident. 20 years later, they still suffer. 40 years later, they still suffer. There was one couple in Israel, they were arguing how to call their baby. Tomorrow it's the Brit. They came to Rav Shach. They said to Rav Shach, I want to call the son Yonatan, and my wife doesn't, in the last minute she changed her mind. He asked them why. He said, because there's a couple in the building. They had a little boy, his name was Yonatan, and Lo Alenu, he died from cancer. Young boy. So my wife said, it's bad luck that we're going to call the boy the same name like this boy that died from the, from the neighbors. So he told them, don't call him Yonatan. 
So the, the man said to him, Rabbi, you're also superstition? Well, what is this here? What does it have to do with our son? Yonatan, it's a name from the Tanakh. He said, not because of that. I didn't say Yonatan is not a good name. Just imagine the pain of this couple. Every time you will call your son, Yonatan, Bolepo, Yonatan, Kamir, Yonatan, and they are in a building, and they hear Yonatan, Yonatan, and they also had Yonatan, and he died on them. Imagine how much pain they're going to have to hear this name every day in the building. They didn't think about this. They only thought about what's good for their own son. So imagine how much people go from pain, chas if they bury one kid, needless to say, ten. And this does not come to one hour of the suffering of Geno. And that's why I tell people, you better do tshuva, because by the time you pass, it's too late. You're still mechalel Shabbat, you finished. You're still a big thief, you're finished. You're still, chas v'shalom, doing all these horrible sex crimes. You have very serious problem. Wake up before it's too late. Don't miss the train. Bezrat Hashem will have the strength to go through these difficult times coming. We'll be able, Bezrat Hashem, to all of us do tshuva. Remember, it's the most important thing. What will happen with us financially, this, that, is not as critical. What's critical is in the moment when we will have to leave the world in 20 or 30 or 40 or 10 years from now, how are we going to leave the world? Clean, righteous, or God forbid, dirty and wicked? That's the question you have to ask. Everything else is secondary. Life is a blink of the eye. Right now you enjoy, two minutes later you depress, this, that, and life is over. Back, a blink of the eye. The question is, from this short life, now you're going to be placed in a place based on how you live here. And that's what I tell you. Be smart. Learn a lot of Torah. Listen to a lot of lectures. Work on your midot. And buy millions of mitzvot monthly. Make recurrent donation to save souls as much as you can. Give money. You're not going to take this money with you to Olam Abba. Invest. Don't worry. Money that you invest on saving souls, it's not money you lost. It's the money you'll take with you to the eternal life. Don't look at that, that if you give $10,000 donation to save souls, okay, so now I had uh, $200,000, now I have 190 left. No. Now you have 10,000 left. The 190 is questionable. Right now you're holding it. In a week from now it may be gone. The one that you have for eternity is the 10 you gave. And if you give another 5, you also wire it to the eternal world. And you give 100, you wire it to the next world. All the money you gave, you already wired to the eternal life. Just like the king that they put him in an island, and they told him, here we have a law. Everyone is one year maximum a king. We chose you, you be here. And they had plenty of gold over there. What was he doing? Collecting boats full of gold and sending it to a different island every day. So what is he doing? He was sending gold. When they finished, he went over there and he had more money than anyone. Other kings, they were worried about what's now. But he was smart. He prepared his future and the future of his children. 
דצת רבותיי, אם אין אני לי, מי לי? If I will not take care of my soul, no one will do the job for you. Not even your great wonderful children. Why you put them in a test? Do you know what they're going to have to go through? Why you would let United States take 50% of your estate? Isn't it better to save souls that they will bring you millions of mitzvot every month to your olam haba? Who is going to give you mitzvot? Sleepy Joe? Kamala? Who's going to give you mitzvot? If you die and you leave $20 million dollars now, the government will take 10. Do you know in olam haemet how you're going to kill yourself for it? What, am I, what have I done? I could have made trillions of mitzvot with his money and in the end he went to the garbage. And if your children are not so religious, all they're going to waste it is on sins. Or chas v'shalom, they will have fights with each other which will tear the family apart like happened to thousands of families. And then you will say, oh, I should have done it different. But it will be too late. Remember, Abotai, it will be too late. Now it's critical. We don't know every day that passes, we don't know what's going to happen. You never know what's going to happen. All of a sudden you hear, who knows what can happen? We know one thing. We have Hashem and we have to work very, very hard, very hard on saving our souls. The rest is not important. Everyone is afraid of dying. They should not be afraid of dying. Dying is the least of the problem. What comes after death? That's what's important. If you die and you join the Baba Sali and all the tzaddikim and your soul is in the highest level of pleasure, do you really think you're going to miss the world with Hussein, Obama and his friends? You really think so? You really think you're going to miss the, the games, the stupid games you're watching or the movies? In Olam HaEmet you're going to feel horrible for every minute of your life you wasted on this garbage. You won't miss this world. The question is, where will you be? And the only thing that a person can take with him to Olam Abba is Torah and mitzvot and irat shamayim. Nothing else. No one will care what car you had and what beautiful homes you have and what antique you bought and how many watches you have in a safe and how great you know how to eat and what a great taste you have in art. That's going to be an embarrassment in Olam HaEmet. When they're going to show you your art collection and they will show you how many souls it's worth. You're going to go crazy. The Chafetz Chaim say, how stupid are the people who made big bombastic graves to their parents. They spend $50,000 on Italian marble. They make such an amazing grave. And their parents in the real world are crying for the stupidity of their children. Look what they burned $50,000 on a piece of rock instead of taking it and saving souls and giving it to the yeshivot to really help our soul. They make us a grave like uh, King Ahasuerus. In Olam HaEmet, it's a very big embarrassment for the parents. They said, look at your foolish son. If he was Ben Torah, he would spend $50,000 on a grave with your picture on it. Who exactly care about it? You're, instead of helping your soul in Olam HaEmet, sending you millions of mitzvot, doing all kinds of things, sponsoring lectures. Every lecture like this goes to over 100,000 people. Three hours tonight, 300,000 hours of Torah. People sponsor this lecture. They already made trillions of mitzvot tonight. Trillions! What's more important, to make a $50,000 grave 
or to buy a Sefer Torah, to give it to a shul that already have 150 Sefer Torah in a basement, Sefer Torah would cost you $50,000. The silver cover, another 20. It's going to be left in a basement the entire year. No one will use it. They already have 150 online before you. Why are you going to do it? Achnasat Sefer Torah. How is exactly it's going to help your parents? They won't even read in it one time a year. They only have to open it to get some fresh air. That's the halacha. They may not, never use it. 20 years it's going to be in a basement in some shul in Brooklyn or Queens. No one will touch it. With this $70,000, you could have saved 20,000 chilonim and make them Shomrei Shabbat for the sake of your parents. And what did you get? Zero. And after you heard me now, everyone who planned to do Achnasat Sefer Torah will continue with this plan. Now one will stop. How do I know? 20 years I've been saying it. Now one person got the point. They continue with their plans. And Naim Laim Velo Yiru. Why are you burning so much money? At least it will be productive. If a shul doesn't have Sefer Torah at all, no mitzvah, Baruch Hashem, they don't have Sefer Torah. You need at least one. You need two or three. Okay? But if they have a hundred already in a basement, it's only a burden for the Gabayim. It's a punishment. They need security and a party and kulululu. Everyone walks in the streets and police and this. And in the end, zero mitzvot, nothing. They won't use it. Chaval, chaval mamash. The only good thing about it, that some sofer in Israel made parnasa for a year. That's it. But you could have sponsored all yeshiva with this money. The whole yeshiva for six months. Avrechim, all day learning, becoming rabbis. Sponsored with the price of one sefer Torah. How many times this light went off in this lecture? Can you explain to me how can it be? But how many times? Every two minutes? What's going on here? Time I understand, but if you turn it to on, why it keeps shutting off? That's a sign that we have to finish the lecture. If you don't have, you can give more than the rich people. You convince them to give. Whatever they give, count like you gave more than them. You understand? So it's very good. You have an uncle that has money, you convince him. You sit on him until he will write a nice check. Once he did it, it counts like you gave the check an extra. You understand? But I don't have to tell you today where the money goes to. Look at all the big donations that were given. Reform shuls, conservative shuls, very, very modern shuls, all kinds of cult shuls. How many of that came to really pure, great Torah and great ideology? Very, very minimum. I see it, I see it for years. Everywhere I go, I see the same thing. I see it. Rav Ben-Zion, Abba Shaul Zatzal, never opened his own yeshiva. He told my cousin, I don't want to be in the end of the rich people, beg them for money. So after he passed, my cousin said, say, let's open a yeshiva, fulfill the dream of Chacham Ben Sion. I said, why he didn't do it? The rich people should have stayed online to give him money. He said, because he never wanted to ask favors from any one of them. You know, this poor Rashi Shivot, they come here to America, beg people, can I stop by you on Sunday, 2 p.m.? No, no, I'm busy, come next year. 
I'm really here, but I'm not here. Business was very bad. Corona was very bad. In the meantime, his stocks make thousands of dollars by the minute. And he, he doesn't want to help. He thinks that he's going to take his millions to Olam Abba with him. That's what the Satan convinced all of us. Don't rush, don't rush. What do you AD? What do you worry about? No, no, no. But maybe I live another 10 years. Maybe my millions will run out. Maybe, maybe. A minute before, he's still worried about his money. A minute before. Let's buy a building. Let's do this. Let's renovate it. I had one friend of mine, a week before he passed from Corona, 67 years old, came to my house, complained to me about someone who break his heart in that deal that they do together. I don't know this guy. I don't want to say he's crook, but the way he behaves and the things that he does. Me and him sitting. He's asking me advice how to handle the problem if we only knew that in six days from now he will die from corona. Will he care about the money and the, and the project? And the guy did not tell me all the details. Would he eat his heart all this time for months? He was eating his heart for nothing. If he knew six months before he died that this whole project will never start because he's about to die, what will he do in this time? Would he run and meet people and beg them and get angry? No. What would he do? Take advantage on every minute to learn Torah, to give more money, it's dakat, to prepare his olam haba. But this is it, Rabotai. I went a little bit too long today, a lot more. Forgive me for that. Don't worry, in Olam Abba, you'll thank me for that. It's my, it's my anger that uh, the, the, the camera didn't work today. Baruch Hashem. If the camera worked, it forced me to stop the lecture. If the live broadcast doesn't work, I say, you know what, you might as well, if we have less people, we might as well do it longer. Baruch Adonai Olam. Amen v'amen. Rabbi Hanani, Amen.